If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. All right, welcome to this episode of Robotech Man. I'm your host, Doug. Oh, ah, nah, okay, let's try that over again. All right, welcome to this episode of... I know, I'm terrible, aren't I? I I'm totally terrible. All right, welcome to this episode of Xenoforce Reborn. I'm your host, Doug Bendo, and today we have Azusa, you know, Ryan, whatever you're going to call him. I call them both. Same thing with me, Doug. Doug Bendo makes no difference to me. That's just how it works. Um... So, we're going to have our second live episode here, uh, which will technically be, I think, like the first live episode, because it was actually done live. Uh, are you there, Ryan? Are you there? Yeah, I am. Okay, yeah, I'm there. Um, so, we may have some, like, cutting in and out. Uh, in this episode, we'll just have to figure out what that is and how we're going to fix that, like, later on. Um, but, yeah, we are, we are going live. You can definitely tell it's live because you're hearing stuff like that, you know. Um, and now that might actually come down to just the service itself. I honestly don't know. Uh, my Wi-Fi is, like, spot on. I can tell you that. I definitely don't have any problems with my uh, Wi-Fi. Um, so... Dude, this is, like... Can you hear me? Ryan. Um, oh, you know what? You know what it possibly could be? It might be, it might be like one of those mic, um, record mic deals. You know, where like you gotta sit up here and have your, your, your speaker separate from your audio, that kind of thing. Nah, we'll figure that out later. I don't care. Alright, so. It could be. Yeah, there's a possibility of that. Um, you know, like I said, yeah, I'll sit up here and look into that later. Uh, but yeah, like I said, um, today is a um, is going to be a live episode. And uh, what we're going to be looking at, um, I think, primarily today is we're just going to go over a whole range of things. Uh, really soon, you guys are going to have a brand new release of Xenoforce Reborn. And um, I know that you guys are pretty excited about that. Uh, you know, we get people asking us all the time. When's it coming out? When's it coming out? When's it coming out? When's it coming out? And like, you know, it's, it, it's coming. It's coming. I mean, if you guys want quality gameplay, then you gotta wait for quality gameplay. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day and neither was our project. So, um, you know, it's, it's real easy to sit up here and have the ideas. It's another thing altogether to actually implement the ideas, you know. Um, we're not some kids at a lunch table, you know, saying, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could make a game like this? You know, that's not how it works. Um, the way it works is that you really actually have to put thought and implementation behind the thought in order for it to work really well. So, um, with that being said, uh, let's just get right into it. All right. Um, to begin with, uh, I think I'm going to go backwards on this. In the last episode, I had I had basically dropped on you guys, uh, which was yesterday, an episode about the selection of the uh, the Earth Federation. You know, I, I talked about that. And um, I talked about the the concepts of 
how we selected the mobile suits that we decided to go with versus the mobile suits that we didn't decide to go with. And the reasoning for that primarily dealt with the fact that in the beginning when we started this project with the Earth Federation, um, when we decided to basically partition the different, you know, Earth Federation forms within the Gundam universe, um, we had decided for Universal Century to go with a more passive system of timeline and mobile suit uh, representation. Like, that's what we decided to do. So basically the whole idea was that, you know, we would set the system up where the player would basically experience different mobile suits based on the timeline that they were in. Now, by the time we were done with it, the marker for the timeline was the Gundam. Like, in other words, you knew what era of mobile suit you were in based on the Gundams that you wanted to produce. However, the issue that we ran into was it was still a passive system. And in some cases, having a passive system works really well. In other cases, it doesn't work well. Like, for example, if you have a, you know, faction that tries to tech up through a passive system, what that means is, is that basically as time goes on, you naturally just tech up but you're not necessarily teching up by an activator. Like, in other words, you don't have the option to necessarily tech up sooner rather than later or to abandon the concept of a tech because you realize in this given scenario it makes no sense whatsoever to even invest in that in one form or another. So for how it played out for the Earth Federation in, in its final analysis, what we had found out was, with Nod specifically... Um, the Earth Federation's passive system was just something that was not doable. Um, it, you just couldn't win it. It was one of those things where no matter how you tell that story, no matter how you, you know, want to write its ending, the Earth Federation was on the losing end because it was a passive system that we were looking at and not an active system. Um, so, you know, Azusa, if you want to say something about that, go right ahead. If I need to cut in, I'll say something. Okay, all right, cool. All right, that's not a problem. So um, what I mean by that uh, is you – it's really easy in a sense to sit up here and say, okay, you know what? You're going to have these number of units. They're going to be at this level of power. And as you do this on the side, you're going to unlock these units. You know, that, that, That's a very simple thing to say. Um, you obviously can do it through units, uh, in terms of unlocking units. You can do it through structures in terms of unlocking units. Or, you know, you can do it through, um, other means as well. And you can still keep it in a passive sense. You know, like for example, with GDI and the way that GDI is set up right now. Um, if you build a building, it opens you up to more options to build. That's basically how it works. You know, with the Earth Federation, it's just that you build a Gundam and it opened up to you opened up to you more options of G, um, of GMs to build. But the the issue that you run into with that is that certain other factions, if they aren't working off of a passive system, basically sit you in a situation where you're trying to play it out with a time clause. That's what you're doing. Like, in other words, it's like, okay, 
within this time frame, statistically, you should be done. Okay. So granted, there could possibly be, you know, for the sake of the conversation, we'll say maybe within a minute to three minute, you know, swing of when that's, you know, you're going to complete that, that passive, um, bridging from one mobile suit to another, you know? So like, let's say, for example, you want to go from an RGM 79 to a, you know, RGM, uh, 79, you know, GM two. Okay. Let's like, like, let's say that's what you want to do. Um, you have that, that passing of time in which, you know, it may be a three to seven minute swing. All right. Just depending on how fast you can sit up here and build that Gundam. Um, but in reality, what happens is this, is that you then have to begin to make that initial investment into the new GM. And based on the passing of the time, where you sit with one GM versus another GM in terms of how they, they, they are in terms of placeholders in the actual game. If you're going through a timeline of, you know, we'll say four or five different series, then the placeholding of these GMs are not necessarily relevant to a performance level that truly does speak to a, this is a pivotal moment of, of, uh, you know, swapping when it comes to, uh, your mobile suit selection, you know? So basically what happens there is that, yeah, you went from a, a GM, we'll say Mark one to a GM Mark two, but what did you really gain from doing that? You know, you gained maybe a little more HP, possibly some better armor plating, potentially, I want to say greater speed. And that's essentially about it. You don't really gain anything beyond that, you know, and that was one of the problems with the, with the, uh, passive system was that we had to find GMs or, or I'm sorry, GMs. That's what I'm going to say. GMs that had a, um, had a lineage where basically you have a Mark one, you have a Mark two, you have a Mark three, you have a Mark four, you know, or what you have is you have the connection of, okay, mobile suit a, which is GM sniper is then connected to mobile suit, you know, B, which is Nemo, you know, based on just how the Gundam stories goes. So basically what you have is you have a situation where you're trying to find these pivoting points to this is how the earth federation advances itself through a chronological stage. Now, again, the problem with that is that in some cases you're, you're talking about basically something that's very incremental. And the, the prime example would be this. Okay. In the earth federation, you know, I, I would say that you have, roughly about four different classes of mobile suits. Okay. You've got the light unit. Okay. That, that unit that's always light. Um, it's the one with the thinnest armor. It's based on mobility. Um, or it gets written off as like a trainer model. You have that. Then what you have is your, your stock ground, you know, like your cannon fodder, you know, it's, it's like the unit that, um, it, it works, but you definitely probably would prefer better. Then you have your, you know, um, 
well-tuned unit, okay? The unit that can really hold its own in a conflict, and in a pinch, you believe you have a chance of survival. You know, that's basically the way it works. Um, and then, of course, what you have is you have your custom. You have your your grade. You know, um, the 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 unit of the highest grade where it goes on par with literally the Gundam itself, although it's still a GM, you know. If if you were to sit up here and take away the names of the two mobile suits, you would never really be able to distinguish one to another, you know. So the Earth Federation basically has four grades of mobile suits um, that I would, you know, classify as reasonable, shall we say, benchmarks for what a mobile suit can be. The the issue that you run into with this, though, is that you're basically trying to run with that benchmark times four. If you're going through a, you know, one-year war, shall we say 0083, Zeta Devil Zeta series, and then a Char's counterattack. Not to mention something like a Gundam Unicorn or a uh, Gundam F-91 um, to extend out the UC timeline. Um, and in this case, we'll just assume that, um, Gundam X is not part of the UC universe. Okay. Although it, it is, um, this is one of those things where you look at it and you say, okay, well, wait a second here. We're going to try to effectively for all practical purposes, have four categories of mobile suits, which will mean, you know, different things at different stages, um, of their development. But the fact is, you're talking 16 mobile suits. You know, just just in the, in, in the sheer initial count of what you're going after, you're talking 16 mobile suits. And, oh, go ahead and say something, Ryan. Okay, no, no, because, like, whenever you talk, when that happens, it, like, breaks it up. That's what it does. Yeah, that's what I was testing. Apparently, it has to do with... I guess bandwidth or something for multiple mics running at the same time. Oh, you mean like both of us having our mics running at the same time? Right. As soon as I unmute my mic to say something is when you start cutting out. So I'm thinking it just has something to do with the software and multiple people talking at the same time type deal. Oh, so this way you can't basically have a riot. In a, um, yeah. In a conference. Okay, alright. Well, that makes sense. Alright, so it wasn't my deal. Okay, alright. Okay, cool. So yeah, let me know when you're gonna talk, cause I'll sit up here and I'll, I'll, I'll mute myself. That's what I'll do. Um, and by mute, you're talking about the, uh, the button at the bottom right, uh, I'm sorry, the bottom left hand corner? Yep, that's what I'm hitting. Okay, alright, cool. Alright, awesome. Okay, alright. No, I just wanted to say that you're right. Muted. Okay. All the mobile suits between 0079 and we'll just go with 0091 because that's where, or 0093, that's where our original Earth Federation went. From a pure, you want to put everything in there. You want to show everybody what's, you know, the beginning and the end and see an advancement and stuff. But then when you start looking at it, and this is something you've always brought up, why the hell do we have... RGM 79s in there, if everyone's just going to use GM3s in the end anyways, or 
what's the point of the RX-78 Gundam when once you hit GPO-1, nobody uses that. Once you hit GPO-3, who cares about GPO-1? And it just, it cascades, and that's a real problem that Gundam has. They don't really have a very good real explanation as to why advancements are made in some of these suits other than they wanted to draw it differently or call it something new to sell a new model kit. That's all I was going to say. Unmuted. Okay. So you guys are going to hear me uh, mute and unmute, okay, at times. Um, you know, to the point of, of what, you know, Ryan's saying right there, uh, he's, he's totally correct. I do point this out all the time. I do this in general, though, with anime. I do. It's, it's not Gundam specific. So, for those of you who are actually going to listen to this episode, do not get butt hurt over this, okay? Um, and yes, I did say do not get butt hurt over this. Uh, the reality is this, is that you, there are a couple things that you've got to look at when you look at a series, okay? One of the things that you do have to look at when you look at a series is the time frame that it was made. Okay, meaning like what were the, you know, what was the, the frame of the world at that point in time, um, in terms of the creators, what they were thinking, their original intent and stuff like that. Another thing that you have to look at is you have to look at pre-production notes. Okay, so what were basically the original thoughts behind the concept versus what was actually on screen. So, so I do always factor those things in. Um, but another thing that I do factor in is the fact that these guys got to sit up here and get a paycheck. Like, it's just the bottom line. They get a paycheck. They create, <laughs> they create a giant robot, stick it on a screen, you know, and are able to build some advertising around it, and they get paid for it. That's exactly what it is. You know? So to a point, you have to keep those things in mind. Now, granted, when I'm looking at the logic within a given universe, when I step outside of that and look at the logic within a given universe... Um, I do try to look at it from the standpoint of that universe existing. You know, so to the point of what um, Azusa had just said, with, um, you know, if you've got, you know, RGM 79, why would you do, use that mobile suit when in the end, you know, meaning 15 minutes into a battle, all you're going to want to do is use GM3s? Well, the reason why you would do that would basically be based on a lower lower expense a uh, income credit if you will like in other words if you if you take these you know crappy mobile suits off our hands we'll actually give you a an income credit you know um to why you should actually use these crappier mobile suits but in reality here's here's the problem that you run into okay even if you went with a concept like that okay like let's say that we we did it where you have Old mobile suits and new mobile suits all under the same faction. And if you, as you advance through the time frames, okay, older mobile suits gain a form of income, okay, that they generate from being produced. When newer mobile suits are actually um, opened up in terms of their availability, even if you were to do that, the problem that you ultimately run into is you end up facing the reality that um, older mobile suits are just ineffective at a given point, regardless of how many of them you make. Like, like this is the reality of, of what we were facing here. Okay, 
So it, it was not even a case when we saw the demise of the Earth Federation, which it was a demise. There was no two ways about the, that in the way that I actually saw it, at least. Okay, So I'll speak for myself on this one. Um, but it, it wasn't even a case of could you sp- just basically out-spam or, or produce them in a larger number that would then justify the quantity of what you have. And even if there was an income boost, you know, would that actually, you know, uh, play out in your favor? It wasn't even a case of those things. It was just the sheer literal ineffectiveness of the mobile suits in the way that they worked. You know, it was. And granted, we didn't have our boost system that I talked about, like, I want to say two episodes ago or whatever. We didn't have that. But in reality, that wouldn't have changed a single thing. Like, it was one of those kind of things where no matter what you did with that RGM-79, okay, or what you would have done with, um, you know, uh, that GM Customs at, at that given point in time, okay, or whatever it would have been, when it goes up against the Salamander, it's over. Like, like literally, it's it's over. I mean, like, if, if a Nod player, because of the way that they work, is they work off of an LVL system. If a Nod player is very smart and they figure out that they can hit your supply run and then LVL off of that, they level off of that, okay, and they're able to go, like, level, you know, three or four, then they're going to be opened up to the Salamander to be able to produce that. Once when they sit up here and produce one or two of those on the battlefield, it, it's over. Like, you can literally just kiss your your passive, you know your passive timeline of, of developing goodbye. And the reason is this, what they did as a player is they basically took what would have taken you for the sake of the conversation. We'll say 15 minutes to do. And they did it in three. Think of it like that, or they did it in five or they did it in seven, you know, and in another way I would tell you to think about this is think of it like this. Imagine if you were playing up against another Earth Federation player, okay, and you were using your RGM-79s. And then, lo and behold, from a gameplay perspective, what happens is the opposing player pops out with Jagans from, you know, 0090. Who's going to win that conflict? What what chance do you really stand against that? And I think you can now start to see the dilemma that we were in. The dilemma that we were facing, which was, it was a technological as well as time frame dilemma in which we could not actually get out of in any feasible way. Now, of course, there was always the you know, we could increase the HP or we could increase damage or we could do this, that, or the other. But then that goes right back to the original thing that Azusa said, which was, well, if you're going to do that, then why have all this other stuff here in the first place? And and that's one of the key things. You know, um, I, I will be the first one to tell you, one of the hardest things of development is when knowing when to stop the variety that you want to put in a game. It is one of the toughest things. You know, it's especially when you have all the materials there. You know, you get all the materials, you have a system of workflow down, 
you realize that you could create, you know, within the next month, like, 20 different mobile suits, 10 to 20 of them, and why not have them all in the game? And and the reason for it is very simple. There, there's not a spot for all of them. It doesn't really make sense. There's no logic to it. You don't need to have, you know, that many mobile suits. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, real world militaries. How many real world militaries that are grade A militaries use more than one to two main battle tanks on the battlefield? And if they're using two, it's usually because one's older than the other. That's what it is. You know, but you don't, you don't see like world class militaries using like 16 different tanks on the battlefield. You know, main battle tanks on the battlefield. You don't see that stuff. You know, what you, you see that in, well, you don't see a number of 16 anyways, but typically if you look at world class militaries, okay, the lower they are in their ranking, the more different types of tanks they use as main battle tanks. And the reason for it is they simply just can't afford to build good stuff. That's exactly what it is. You know, that that's just the reality of it. They can't, they can't, they either don't have the infrastructure or they can't afford the infrastructure um, to produce ideally what they would produce. And for the Earth Federation, that's not their MO. That's not their model. That's not how they work. You know, they can produce whatever they want to produce. And that was something we were never going to walk away from with them. But at the same time, what we understood was, in being able to produce what you want to produce, you still want to produce good stuff. That's what you want to do. So for us, the question became, what was good versus what was just access? You know, what was excessive? And as we worked through things, what we began to realize was the problem that the Earth Federation had was it was its excessiveness. In other words, the only reason why we had a passive-based form of development for the Earth Federation is because we were, you know, going through that stage of, well, we can put whatever mobile suit we want in here, you know, now that we have a system down for this is how it's going to work. You know, um, and, 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 well, and that's the reality. That too, Doug. Muted. Um, there, we also came across the issue of every time we made an advancement in the technology, you know, we went from 0083 to 0087. To make it feel like it was a real advancement, just going from... GPO one to RX one seventy eight wasn't enough, or Super Gundam wasn't enough. We also needed to put additional mobile suits in on the baseline to show the real advancement. Otherwise, are you really advancing in the timelines, or are you just giving me one or two suits from it? That also caused a huge level of bloat in the Earth Federation system. Unmuted. Was that it? Muted. Yep. Unmuted. Okay, cool. Not a problem. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry about that. Uh, you're, you're correct about that. Um, and, and that's partly why you end up with like 16 suits, which then turns into 20, which then turns into like, you know, 30, and then turns into 40, and then it just, 
you know, it's like, why don't you just simply make a Gundam game and forget about everything else? And, and, and that is a, a reality that, that is faced, which is, remember, each time you add a mobile suit in, okay, or each time you try to tell of a mobile suit's advancement, you have to speak to that mobile suit's advancement by the company that it keeps. You know, it, it, it's not like you just say, oh, guess what, we're going to develop Gundam Mark II, you know, because we're going to develop Gundam Mark II. Well, yeah, you can develop Gundam Mark II, but what actually speaks to the existence of Gundam Mark II? Like, in other words, what defined Gundam Mark II as the mobile suit that it was in the series? You know, you, you can't sit up here and say, well, Gundam Mark II was Gundam Mark II because we have, like, you know, GM, you know, RGM 79, um, or, or RGM 79 ground type running around, um, and, and we're contrasting it with that. Well, you can't really do that. You have to contrast Gundam Mark II with other units that were contrastable at that point in time. You know, you do have to do that. And this is, of course, one of the, um, the greater challenges. Because you get into a situation where it's like, okay, well, what do you want to cr- contrast it with? And, and why do you want to contrast it? And sometimes you can't contrast a Gundam versus a Gundam which a lot of people tend to think that you can. Like, for whatever weird reason, you know, people, when they talk about Gundam, they want to sit up here and try to contrast, um, you know, Gundams within certain time periods and automatically say that they're better. You know, like, for example, some people will sit up here and try and say that, you know, Gundam Mark II was actually a better mobile suit than GPA-1. However, if you actually watch the Gundam series, okay, and you watch Gundam R2, and then you watch, again, the Gundam series, um, the OVA of uh, Stardust Memories, you find out that GPO-1 was a, fa- a vastly superior mobile suit to Gundam R2. It was. Now, you might try to throw it down on the, techni- uh, the technicality of, you know, 0083 had better animation. I mean, like, that, that might be a technicality that you would, you would say, um, this is why GPO-1 looks better. Um, and, and, and that's true. You might go ahead and do that. Um, but I would point out that there are things that you can actually look at within each of the stories that proves that GPO-1 is actually a better unit than um, Gundam Mark II. You know, in, in one of the, the best examples that I would giving would be the uh, the battle with uh, Gato. You know, um, when, when you have GPO2 going up against GPO1 for the final, you know, the final round with Koiraki versus Gato, and when you literally look at the hack and slash that takes place there, the, Gundam Mark II could never survive that. Never. Not, not in a, you know, not in like 10 Gundam cycles of development could Gundam Mark II have ever survived what GPO-1 went through as full Vernian, you know, and especially when you look really, really close at the actual, uh, the, the battle. Like, I was paying attention to the battle yesterday, and I realized that GPO, um, GPO-1, when it fired its beam, uh, you know, beam rifle, the beam rifle actually destroyed a, uh, a giant asteroid the size of GPO-2. Like, that's just... 
just as a random shot, like poof, beam beam rifle, you know, uh, salvo hits hits a rock as big as GPO two and blows the thing up, you know. But if you didn't talk about that, you could simply just talk about the beam saber battles. You know, you could talk about how, you know, GPO two uses its beam saber at full full mass and is able to cut through the beam saber of GPO one, of course, and cut directly into GPO one. But then GPO one decides to use its you know its thrusters um, to basically try to burn into you know GPO two, and in the end uh, GPO one just like spears GPO two through the head. You know it gets all crazy and stuff. You know, um, but again, you never could have gotten that kind of battle out of Gundam Mark two. Like in fact, this is how it goes with Gundam Mark two. Gundam Mark two gets hit by one of anything, it loses like an arm or a leg or you know, whatever craziness is going on with that thing. You know? Um, and again, I, this isn't an opinion. This is just go watch Zeta Gundam. Because before we actually started our new development of the Earth Federation, what did I do? I went out and watched Zeta Gundam. And I took notes. And took really good notes. And was really close to the TV. Watching stuff. Making sure that I was observing exactly what I was, you know, um, observing for, for the sake of, you know, the, uh, the phrase. So what I realized was to begin with, if a person was going to try to question the integrity of the o- OVA being a higher production versus Zeta Gundam, that was just a, a fluke in and of itself, because Zeta Gundam was a vastly superior animated product than the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that the OVA couldn't have been better, and yes, the OVAs were technically better in terms of animation, and that's on a technical end of things, but in reality, Zeta Gundam in terms of its own given universe, meaning that, like, when the Gundam Mark II fires a salvo and it hits a, a, again, a a giant asteroid, or when it actually, you know, hits the ground, you know, and you have a level of uh, splash damage that takes takes effect, you know, um, or you have, you know, for example, like the, um, it's not Musai, it's not Mirai. Man, I can't think of it now. Um, anyways, it's, it's, it's in the episode. You guys will know it if you guys watch Zeta Gundam, where basically, um, uh, Jared, that's the pilot, he's, uh, in Jaburo. And his mobile suit, like, you know, like trips over, uh, I don't know, trips over a rock or something stupid like that. And then it falls in a pit and just breaks into pieces. You know, and, and, and I'm sitting up here looking at this and I'm like, wait a second here. These mobile suits are supposed to be state of the art and they're falling apart when they fall over. I mean, like, this is not, this isn't, you would never see this in 0083. You'd never see this, you know, but also the technology is different, you know, and they, they do in the Gundam universe try to go out of their way to explain the differences in technologies that you have between like a 0083 and a, a Zeta time period, or a 0083 and a double Zeta time period, or a 0083 and a Char's counterattack time period, you know, a double 90, you know, uh, time period. 
But the fact is, is that Gundam does actually go through and in attempts to explain it through games, through, you know, um, pre-production notes, through, you know, novels and, um, or mangas, I should say, not really novels, but mangas, um, and through the show as well. I mean, they, they do. But the reality is, is that when we were looking at what we were looking at, the problem that we ran into is that you really didn't necessarily have a, a premise on which you could say, this mobile suit here is better as a standalone piece. What happened was you had to create like a whole entourage with that mobile suit to say, oh yeah, this mobile suit is better. And in contrast, this is what actually makes it better. So that became a, a bigger pain in the butt than, than what you, most of you guys would actually realize. You know, and, and don't get me wrong. It's not like, for example, we would have a problem putting a Hizak into the game. Except for one thing. What's the point of having a Hizak in the game for the Earth Federation from a gameplay development perspective when at best your argument might be the Hizak is equivalent to a GM Kaya? You know, I mean, like, I, I would, I would say now looking back on the Zeta series and then looking at, you know, um, uh, I, w- I want to say, uh, the one year war mobile suits leading up to 0083, a Hizak might be a GM Kaya, maybe a GM command unit, you know, and, th- and that's a, that's at best. I wouldn't even give it like GM custom status. I wouldn't even do that. that that'd just be stupid. So, and you know, granted, as time goes on, and if you watch this stuff enough, you know, you might shift your opinion one way or another, slightly, but still, you're talking about a slightly. That's what you're talking about. There's been very few mobile suits within the Gundam um, universe that have had major revisions. In the mobile suit, well, there's there's two major revisions that I've seen in, in, in the Gundam universe. And this is actually based on games and stuff like that, okay? So when I'm talking about, like, revisions, I'm not talking about something that someone said in some interview that no one's ever going to listen to, okay? I'm talking about when you throw your cash down to buy that game, or when you pirate it offline or do whatever the heck you're going to do from that standpoint, okay? Um, you've got game one. And then unteen years later, okay, you've got game two. Or unteen installments later, you have game two. All right? And, and there have been two huge revisions that I've seen from um, from Gundam. Okay? The first one is um, dealing with Ana Velgato. Ana Velgato was kind of like a mediocre pilot in the, in the turn, turn-based strategy games. And then in the later strategy games, they revised him and took him from like like a, a level of nineteen to nineteen to a level of I think it's like he was he was like thirty five and thirty five or thirty two and thirty two. Anyways, massive revision in character. Okay. Now in contrast, you take someone like Hiro Yui, who was like a twenty five and a twenty five. He stays consistently at his level throughout a lot of these games. That's what he does. So he doesn't really have a massive revision. Another, I would say, unit that has a massive revision is the GM Customs. Okay, the GM Customs um, was a unit 
that was really a baseline unit in the beginning of how they treated it in turn-based strategy. Then what happened was, over time, the GM Customs got within a hair, okay, within a hair of Gundam Mark II. And by within a hair, I'm talking about 100 points of HP, which we all know in turn-based strategy games, like when your HP is like 3,200 versus 3,300, that doesn't mean anything at all. You know, that just comes down to who's got the better weapon and who's got the better pilot and that thing, and, and, and that's how that works. Okay, leaving everything else even. All right. But this is my point to, to basically what I'm going after here, which is even within the Gundam, like, universe of creation, all right, the guys who make this stuff, the guys who actually, you know, do this stuff for a, a, a basically a means of living, the guys who actually, their paychecks depend on this, they make their own revisions to this stuff based on going back and saying, yeah, you know what? 0083 wasn't necessarily as popular as what we, we expected at that point in time. And that's why we gave it lower ratings in the beginning. Cause that's, that's, that's honestly how they do it. You know, let's just be honest about it. That's, that's exactly how they do it. When these games first come out, what do they do? They look at the most popular things and they give those things high ratings. And then they, they then they give the, you know, the things that are least popular or the least popular lower ratings. That's exactly what they do. But over time, the veteranism sets in in you. And what you do is you start to look at things subjectively. And what you also realize is it's it's just a point of logic. Like, you can't sit up here and say that A is more powerful than B if B is more powerful than C and C is more powerful than A. Like, like you can't do that. You know, and, and the other thing that happens is, too, is that over time, your fan base, you know, or your audience matures. That's what happens. You know, and, and, and that's just reality. I mean, when you're a child, you, you have a different taste than when you're an adult. Hence, the, the term, it's an acquired taste. You know, that's just, it's how, how things change. It's like your, your brain, obviously, uh, is able to process things differently based on the experiences that you have and stuff like that. And you're able to deduct reasoning in a way that you couldn't, you know, before. Now, I'm not saying that as a child you could not look at a GM Customs and tell that it is a higher performing mobile suit than a Hizak. Okay, no, you can definitely do that as a child. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's the maturity that you have as an individual. In other words, you look at it non-subjectively and say, you know what? Even though 0083 wasn't necessarily as popular as a Zeta Gundam, okay, series, this doesn't mean that we are going to handicap the 0083 mobile suit units just because it wasn't Zeta in name. And, and this is one of the things that, like, me and, you know, Azusa really had to basically struggle with was trying to find those right mobile suits that, first off, could make a timeline progression of, you know, four installments. Because, like, four is the magic number for how, to, how, how we do our, uh, how we do our factions. Or at least it, it somehow it turned out to be. Um, or it seems that way, at least. Um, it, 
and, and trust me, that made it very hard. Because, for example, you look at something like the GM Kaya, alright? You can start off with, like, the GM Kaya, then you can go to, you know, a powered GM. But what do you do after the powered GM? Well, the closest thing to the powered GM is the, you know, GM King. Okay, and then after the GM King, what do you have? And I can't tell you how many nights I sat there in audio trying to devise a plan of trying to coordinate mobile suits that actually really could work within, you know, synchronization. And in some cases, it just didn't happen. It never happened. It just wasn't, it wasn't in the deck of cards, and it was a total waste of time. That's exactly what it was. You know, completely waste of time, because you just couldn't make those those correlations. You know, and to the point of what Azusa said earlier about the whole idea of having model kits and stuff like that. You know, you're you're honestly, in some cases, hoping on a model kit to come out for a mobile suit so you can say, oh, here, 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 look, I told you it was like this, I told you it was like this, or you're waiting for an installment to come out. Not even knowing that you're waiting for an installment to come on, come out because it's the only way to actually bridge the gap that you actually need to bridge. You know, and, um, you know, the, these are just basically some of the challenges that you face in regards to dealing with the Earth Federation and developing a faction like this. There's nothing easy about developing the Earth Federation. By far, I would probably say it was much harder to think about it than to think of a faction like Xeon. Xeon was definitely much, much easier for us, at least, or at least I believe for me it was easier. Um, and the only, the only faction that has even given me, um, a run for its money has been Nod. That's it. Like, Nod and the Earth Federation go hand in hand in terms of their complications. But Nod's complications were definitely ones of those that dealt more along the lines of trying to make sense of a, a faction that would exist in the way that it does in a world that has, you know, walkers, mobile suits, and all the above. That's what it was, which I believe EA was on the right track when they developed CNC3 in terms of the uh, the Avatar system. Um, I, I just don't think they went far enough with it, which, you know, obviously we, we, we've improved upon that. Um, so, uh, that is, you know, from the standpoint of the Earth Federation, when you guys go to play the new installment and you go, my God, these guys totally sat up here and just robbed me of my Jagans or robbed me of my, you know, new Gundam, especially those people who are attached to like High New, you know, cause you know, everyone has this like, I don't know, thing about High New. I, I, I don't know why, but they do. Um, or, I mean, it does look pretty sweet, but anyways, um, or you feel that you've been robbed of your GM3s, you know, and, and their assault packs and whatnot, um, you've got to understand that the, the problem that we ran into was that the stuff just didn't belong in there in the capacities that it was given. It wasn't. Now... We weren't stupid about this, okay? We weren't. Um, and, and what I mean by that was this. Or, or what I mean about that is, is this right here. Which is, um, it's a give and take. 
Okay, it's a give and take. I mean, it, it really is when you start to think about it. And what I mean by that is we understood that if we were going to eliminate, okay, if we were going to, like, literally eliminate part of the mobile suit lineup of the Earth Federation, we would definitely have to go with a more more robust system from a uh, gameplay perspective. And we had begun to do that, um, and it worked out really nicely, actually, with our boost system that we developed. Now, basically, what we went after was this, is we went after a system that allowed for Gundams slash mobile suits to be like mobile suits from the actual series. So, like, for example, when someone goes to attack you, what do you do? Do you stand there and get hit? No, that's what a main battle tank would do, okay? That's why it has frontal armor, all right? It's because it's made to absorb that punishment. A mobile suit doesn't do that. A mobile suit tries to get out of the way. Like, this is one of the key things of Gundam. Like, in Gundam, there are two ways to stay alive when you're in a mobile suit piloting it. The first thing is to get out of the way. The second thing is to have an impenetrable shield. Okay? Now, obviously, we're not going to run around giving, like, GMs impenetrable shields or Gundams impenetrable shields. Okay? That's safe for other factions. Um, so... What we did, or what we decided to do, was develop a system that literally allowed for the Earth Federation player to utilize their GMs in the way that they're actually seen on on a, on script. That's what we did. And once when we started doing that, we quickly realized there was no need whatsoever to have the massive variety of mobile suits that we had. Partly because just there was no need for it, based on what I've already told you, okay, in terms of you are the company that you keep in terms of a technological parameter. So in reality, when you're producing one mobile suit, you're producing like, you know, four other ones right along with it. But the other thing that we realized was the fact that um, with the boost system, what had happened was we were in a scenario where mobile suits had a much longer longevity. So when it came to the concept of placeholders, which is really important, you know, it, it became a situation of just not outpacing yourself. You know, that's what it was. Because with a boost system, you really do get to grind down to, from a mobile suit perspective, what is relevant and what's not. Like, for example, if I have a GM custom, okay, and I'm, and I'm going up against a Hyzak. Again, I'm, I'm going to use a Hyzak. And for those of you who are going to listen to this audio and, um, you know, this podcast audio uh, episode, and you're going to go, what is a Hyzak? Real quickly, just so I can sit up here and explain it to you. A Hyzak is basically, um, the Earth Federation's, uh, laziness of mobile suit development. Okay. And like, here, here's basically how it worked. All right. So, you guys will remember that you had, you know, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, the original show, alright? Well, when they came out with Zeta Gundam, for some weird reason, um, you know, the guys who created Zeta Gundam said, 
well, wouldn't it be cool if we could combine Earth Federation technology with, you know, Xeonic technology and make mobile suits that way and mesh them together and ha ha ha, we can take parts of GMs and Zakus and stick them together and make a Frankenstein. And then, of course, yeah, that's where you get the Hyzak from. Okay. So honestly, like when you really think about it, it's a stupid idea. Um, the only thing I can think of in regards to the Hyzak is that it's from a production perspective. Um, like, like in other words, the reason why the Earth Federation went to it is A, they were trying to rebuild their quote unquote, you know, ranks after the 0083 debacle. And, um, B, you already had the manufacturing means there to produce baseline GMs with baseline Zakus, slap them together, and then make them work some way, shape, or form. Now, I'm not saying it's a good idea, okay? I'm not saying that. In fact, I think it's a stupid idea. Because if Zakus were worth what they were worth, Zeon shouldn't have lost the one-year war. Should not have lost the one-year war, because let's face it, that Gundam alone did not win that entire war. You know, it just didn't. You know, so we, we don't even gotta, no one even needs to kid themselves about that. Alright, they Gundam alone did not win that entire war. What happened was Zeon just pumped out some real crappy suits. And those crappy suits caught up with them, which, in fact, that goes to part of the story of why they created the Doms, the Gelgoogs, um, and some of the other stuff that they created at the very end of the war. You know, so, I think that one of the things that we have to keep in mind here is that you guys may feel that we, in some respects, when we, when we have this conversation here and in the future, are picking on Zeta Gundam. We're not picking, or I'm sorry, we're not picking on Zeta Gundam. We're not doing that. We're just pointing out some of the stupidity in, in the concepts of the creation of Zeta Gundam, okay? Hyzak being one of them, okay? Um, so, anyways... A Hyzak is basically a Frankenstein between a GM and a Izaku. Okay, now if I were going to put a, Zach, a Hyzak up against a, a GM Custom, going back to the whole concept of what I'm talking about in terms of boost, all right, there is no way on earth the GM Custom is going to be defeated by the Hyzak. It won't. And there, there are a number of reasons for it. Now, you may sit up here and say, oh, but the Hyzak got the, you know, 360 degree panoramic cockpit and yada, 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 and so on and so forth. And I'm going to sit up here and tell you, okay, well, it does have a 360 degree panoramic cockpit. That's totally true. Not denying any of that. But if that was the case, then why were Hyzaks getting wiped out left and right in the Zeta series? You know, like, like again, you gotta sit up here and think about these things, okay? Um, and all you gotta do is look at the battle record of both mobile suits. If you look at the RGM 79, you know, um, in, uh, customs, GM customs, alright, you look at that sucker. Look at its battle record in 0083. And then you go and look at the Hyzak's battle record. You'll find out that the customs went up against greater in, you know, a greater form of insurmountable odds than the Hyzak ever did. I mean, the Hyzak always had numbers on its side and it's still lost. Okay. And no, we're not going to sit up here and talk about the laws of anime. All right. We're not, we're not trying to pull out like law 16 of, you know, when bad guys outnumber good guy, good guy automatically gets kill shot, you know, on a like 10 to one ratio or whatever. Okay. We're not doing that. 
what we're doing is we're looking at the legitimacy of the mobile suit and how the mobile suit was actually intended in its original format within its given animation. That's what we're actually looking at. Okay? So one of the reasons to why I can make the claim that the GM Custom can totally bulldoze the Hyzak is because A, it can bulldoze the Hyzak. Z, I'm sorry, not Z, but B, in later iterations of Gundam, literally, the GM Customs is equivalent to the actual Gundam itself. It is. Remember, I told you there were two revisions that were done. Two revisions that were, um, two of the biggest revisions of Gundam, of all Gundam time, which are Ana Gato as a pilot, and then the other one is, I want to say, the GM Customs. Now, I told you about turn base. I didn't sit up here and tell you about live action. If you want to sit up here and play like, you know, or if you're, we're talking about arcade live action, um, mobile suit gameplay, the GM Customs is considered to be equivalent to the mobile suit Gundam on the baseline. That's what it's equivalent, or that's what it's considered to be equivalent to. Alright, then on top, I mean, and on top of that, it was designed directly from Gundam Alex. You know, so, there is a, there's an interesting thing that goes on with the GM Customs, like, like, really, the creators can't figure out, do we want it to be equivalent to ARC-78? Do we actually want it to be equivalent to Gundam Alex? Do we want to make it its own thing? Like, what the hell do we want to do with this? Okay. Hey, Doc. Muted. I've got something to put in on that, too. I think the creators screwed up when they tried to make the GM custom. How do they put it? Um, it's notable for not being remarkable in any way. It's the most baseline unit that they've created. At the same time, they're trying to make it something special. I mean, it is really hard to turn something into being something special because it's not special. That's all I wanted to add in. Unmuted. Yes, and that's called marriage, folks. That's called marriage. So, um, to, to answer that part of it, though, okay, to answer that part of it in its entirety, and I was about to get into that, okay, the mistake with the GM Customs is this, all right? First off, they put the GM Customs up against... Let, let me start with this, okay? Actually, I'm going to start, start off here uh, from this standpoint, okay? When 0083 comes out as an anime... Alright, as, as an OVA. Okay, first of all, it comes out as an OVA. Alright. There's a lot of discipline that is in 0083. 0083 actually is a turning part, or, or I'm sorry, is a turning point in mecha design of anime. Um, in the late 19, I believe it was in the 1980s, late 1980s, going into the early 1990s, basically, you were having this shift from having like boxy type of, you know, block, robots to more slim down organic more looking um forms of uh, mecha okay that that's what you were having which mecha I'm talking robots in this case okay so basically when when you think about this the way it worked was you were going from the concept of transformers like the 1980s 1980s you know generation you know, one Transformers. Okay, you were going from that to basically a transformation of 
mecha curvature, which led into things like bubblegum crisis and what have you not, okay? If you look at the anime of 0081, okay, and I can't stress this enough, if you go and look at the anime, you will see how it literally is the turning point. It is, like, literally the turning point where you still have box designs, but you still, but you begin to see the curvature effect. You do, whether you look at GPO1, you look at GPO2, and so on and so forth, okay? Now, aside from that, okay, making something traditional while still making it, um, I want to say new-aged, what you have is you have an incredible amount of discipline that is put into the designs of 0083. Now, here's what I mean by this, okay? I'm going to take Gundam Seed just for a moment here, okay? Normally, I don't talk about Gundam Seed that much, but we're going to talk about Gundam Seed for a moment. Gundam Seed is interesting in the fact that it was completely CGI'd, like, like, or at least that's what they claim, all right? It was completely CGI'd. Now, I believe it was completely CGI'd, and you want to know why I believe it was completely CGI'd? Because of all those Gundam Seed games they were able to bust out after the fact. I mean, like, and what I mean by the games that they were busting out after the fact, it isn't so much the number of games as much as it's the amount of content they were able to put in every single game. If you look at Gundam Seed games, like literally, you look at Gundam Seed games like Union vs. Zapped, uh, or Union vs. Zapped 2 Plus, okay, or look at the PlayStation Portable version of it, okay, you've got like virtually every single Gundam in Gundam Seed. You're talking like a hundred different, you know, mobile suits. And you're thinking, who's got time to render all this shit? Like, like seriously, who has this kind of time? Well, the reason to why they were able to do this was that these things were re, are pre-rendered, not re-rendered, but pre-rendered for an animation. That's what they were. So it wasn't a problem when they were ported over to the PlayStation, a.k.a. the PSP, so on and so forth. That wasn't a problem. Okay, it was the discipline in production that you had that took place. In regards to 0083... 0083 had a very similar form of discipline, okay, except for one key thing. In Gundam Seed, the problem that Gundam Seed ran into was this. We can render, basically 3D render, whatever mobile suits that we want within certain margins. Okay, so literally, you could create the same mobile suit five times over with modifications that made it identical but also allowed it to be a standalone. So what happened with the Gundam Seed is you had this, like, oversaturation of mobile suits. Okay, that's exactly what you had. I mean, like, let's let's be serious here. Like, you watch Gundam Seed, and you look at it, and you go, wait a minute here, what's the point of having this strike if you're going to have, you know, the uh, the Buster, the Aegis, um you know, the Blitz and the um, the Duelist. Like, what's the point of having the Strike? Like, the Strike is like the jack of all trades, I take it, but each of these specialize in a given form, but in their specialty of their given form, they only equal out to the jack of all trades. Again, I'm not understanding this. And then, of course, they just totally killed it when they came up with the Strike Nor. Like, that just is just like, like, why did this other stuff even exist? If, if you got the strike nor, you know. But my point is this, is that it was an oversaturation because it was there was a lack of discipline in terms of now that we know how to sit up here and create Gundams, we can just create all the Gundams we want. So then what also happens in terms of Gundam Seed, you get into a situation 
where you're creating Gundam-looking mobile suits that are not Gundams, but you want to say that, you know, basically they're going to look like Gundams because of your laziness in CGI. Like, in other words, you got the idea down for being able to port this stuff over to other, you know, uh, merchandising, you know, um, um, uh, ventures. You did that part right. But where you totally screwed up is you screwed up in the actual show's development of actual mobile suits. Well, in 0083, this is where they did it right. Because what happens is you find yourself in a situation where you have the Kaya, then you have the Custom, then you have GPO, whatever, whatever. Okay? But what happens in 0083 is noticeably the mobile suits get better looking. Which is... Part of merchandising. Like, nobody wants to go out and buy a a crappy-looking mobile suit as a model kit. Like, nobody wants to do that. I don't care who, who you are. You don't want to do that. It's lame. It's gay. Nobody wants to do that shit. So, where 0083 hit the mark is they hit the mark on, okay, we're going to have limited mobile suits that we're going to be able to sell, you know, in these given ventures that we're going to go after the fact of the OVA. So, this is how we're really going to do it. We're going to drive home the reality that the GMC is, or the Kaya, you know, the GM Kaya C, whatever you call that thing, um, is a, uh, is a mobile suit that is very, very homely looking to say the least. No, actually, it's a really good-looking, homely-looking mobile suit. I mean, like, I do think it is good-looking, although that is, like, kind of like a contradiction because you really don't normally call something homely-looking, you know, good-looking. But it is, for a baseline mobile suit, a, a decent-looking thing. Okay, it is. And and um, and and I would, I would be the first one to sit up here and say that, okay? But then you jump to the GM Customs, all right? And the GM Customs, for all practicalities, is just a masterpiece. It is. It's a GM that is legitimately a GM that looks so good that you can actually call it a customs. Although it's not actually a customs because there's nothing custom about it in the sense of being a customs, but it looks so damn good that you can call it a customs. And then you get after that your GPO whatever whatever, whether we're talking, you know, um, zero, zero, one, two, three, four, you know, what, whatever we're talking from that end. So you end this you end up in this situation where from a merchandising perspective you know realistically it's a toss up between the GM custom and the Gundam. Now between the two of them I will be the first one to sit up here and say the GM customs was I I honestly think the better looking mobile suit. I do. And the problem is, it wasn't a Gundam. And also, I'm quite sure they tried to put a Gundam head on it, and they realized how stupid it was and said, ah, oh, we can't do this. We can't do this. So, of course, you know, they kept with the designs that they actually had. But the other thing about the GM Customs is this, okay, is that it goes back to what you said originally, which was, how do you sit up here and knock this thing down a peg? Well, here's how you do it. You have a test pilot sit up here and talk shit about it. That's what you do. So when Co Rocky says, well, the GM Customs is remarkable for being unremarkable, he's saying that from a test pilot's perspective. Like, in other words, it's not a power GM, like how he, he thought the power GM was just, you know, uh, just an amazing piece of work, um, or it wasn't a Gundam. 
You know, it wasn't. It was just a high-performance, well-tuned mobile suit, which is, yeah, it's, it's remarkable for being unremarkable. This will take no time at all for me to stomp this thing into the ground with my GPA-1. Um, you know, that's that's basically the way he, he's defining this. That did, though, turn out to be a huge mistake. Because as we found out about the GM Customs, it turned out to be one of the most amazing pieces of, of mobile suit work that has ever come out of the Gundam universe. You know, it's like right there with the Talkies. You know, um, it, it's one of those things where you just respect it because it's that good. And you even... You even overlook, you even overlook its plot death. Like when you sit up here and think about it, only one GM Customs was ever destroyed, and it was never destroyed in terms of like on screen, up in your face kind of deal. Like that Power GM business that they had that was really amazing, they put that thing in the grave early on in the series. You know, they had decided, now we're not going to sit up here and let this thing dominate the series against the Gundam, we're going to put this thing in the grave. But when it came to the GM Customs, you know, they really allowed that thing to play itself out to the very end, which it was a highly remarkable mobile suit, you know, to the point that they even gave it, like, a gun cannon, you know, vest-type, uh, you know, armor pack, and then tried to turn around and say, oh, no, this is a different mobile suit altogether, when, it, when everybody clearly knew it was a GM Customs in that damn thing. I mean, like, you look at it and you can tell. And here they are trying to play it off like it's a... A gun cannon too, like oh, it's a gun cannon too. No, it's not a GM Customs. It's a gun cannon too. Don't look at that GM Customs anymore. So it really does, you know. Again, it's it's really interesting just to see how that actually works because from our perspective, what happens is this: is that we have to basically analyze and from a factual perspective look at it and say, okay, you know, although we are talking about make believe, you know, stuff here, um, factually in its given universe. This is how it actually performed. And the reality is, the Hyzak, which should be technically equivalent to or better than the GM Customs, was never as good as what it was supposed to be. Again, though, I would agree with Azusa on this point, too, which is you look at the Quell. You look at that. So one of the problems with the GM Customs is then they try to you know follow it up with the Quell. And everybody wants to sit up here and say the Quell and the GM Customs are the same mobile suit, yada, 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 so on and so forth, you know. And it's like, well, if you look at 0083 and if you actually look at the mobile suit that's down there, A, it doesn't look like a damn Quell, number one. B, I don't know what that thing is because I've never seen it in Gundam except in that one scene. And it honestly looks like GM Kaya's that have taken a new breath of life or something. I mean, like, I, I, don't, I don't know, but they, that's like the closest thing to it. So the quell, trying to follow up the custom with the quell, just causes more problems on top of more problems. It's like, it's the kind of thing where, first off, you said the mobile suit was no good, but, you know, clearly the mobile suit proves itself throughout the entire series. Then what you try to do is you try to disband the existence of the mobile suit for whatever crazy reason that you want to, and then you try to throw a quell into the mix to say, no, 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 this is what they went to over here. It was the quell, the quell, the quell. A mobile suit that you put in in the official documentation of line art and stuff like that, and then reference it to a mobile suit in the actual OVA that it looks nothing like, you know, except for the fact that they got dark colors. 
but one's actually black and the other one you're making purple. Like I don't even I don't even really follow that. But then on top of that, you then go like twenty years later. Okay, go twenty years later, and then what happens? You go watch Zeta Gundam and oh my god, what do you see? You see like GM Customs Gun Cannon 2 and you see the you know you see the GM Customs right in the Zeta remastering of Zeta Gundam. You know, so so like which one really wins this out here? Like like I don't I don't see the Earth Federation trying to put Hyzax in a 0083 remastering. I do see the Earth Federation pri- trying to put GM Customs into a a um uh, you know, Zeta Gundam remastering. I mean, which is, it's actually there. So, my, my point is this, is that we've had plenty of time to see this stuff actually play out. We know exactly what we picked and why we picked what we picked. You know, now, are you going to necessarily like the options that you're given? Maybe not. Okay? And that is what we're working on right now in terms of, okay, we've given them options, the options are definitive, okay, which I'll go into here in a second. And now we need to sit up here and just fine-tune them. So, like, when I talk about definitive options, okay, the idea behind a definitive option is the fact that you've got option A, B, and C. And in no way, shape, or form does option A, B, and C speak from a standpoint of redundancy. That's not what it does. What happens with option A, B, and C is option A, B, and C speak to a form of isolated performance that you can only get from option A or option B or option C. So there is a rift between them, which is the main thing that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get at here. That part we were able to do, and we were able to do it actually quite well. Um, and we were able to do it in a way where I felt, uh, or at least I feel, because I'm not going to sit up here and speak for Azusa. I mean, he can speak for himself. He's here. Um, I felt that it just made you know, vastly more sense from the standpoint of if you're going to have these mobile suits, this is, you know, these are the core ones that that we should have. Now, there are days when I look at it and I say to myself, you know, we could sit up here and change this up and make it like this, but then it comes down to what do you really gain if you actually do this? Like, Like, in other words, when you start looking at placeholders, okay, like in other words, like let's say that we we give an option D. All right, then if we give an option D, then we've got to get a follow-up to the option D. And if we were to take one of our, you know, um, partnering mobile suits of option A, B, or C and replace it, then still we have to find a replacement for it. One, I want to say the, um, the latter half of itself. So you guys will remember that I did talk about the idea of a mission script. Okay, so, so see, as you can see, Azusa, I have been talking about the Earth Federation and, and I have not been going on some crazy long tangents of GDI in terms of my podcasting and stuff like that, just so you know here. Okay, the, the, by the way, this, this, this live episode is to, is to, is to show Azusa that the podcast, in terms of conversation, is going in the right direction of progress. It's not like just, you know, talking about some shit we're gonna do in the future on stuff we haven't even started on yet. That I keep talking to him about in in, in person. So, oh, I I believe you, Doug. You, because, you know, this podcast it seems to be just talking about Gundam <laughs> instead of the mods and how it works. But I, I believe you, man. Don't worry, I got gotcha. you. Go ahead. Unmuted. 
Well, no, no, seriously, I do sit over here and talk about Gun. Dude, I do talk about Gundam. But but the difference between talking to these guys about Gundam, okay, meaning I guess the audience here, versus talking to you about well, first off, wait a minute here. I've already had most of these conversations with you. I've been like like if anything, you're probably just like, oh my god, is he ever gonna sit up here and tell me something I haven't heard before? I've heard this shit for like the past. It's gotta be twenty years I've been working on this thing. Um the The thing here is this, is that as far as our our new system goes, okay, just, you know, to get back into what I was actually going to get into here, um, I had talked to you guys, you know, earlier in one of the episodes about our boost system. You know, I talked about boost. I talked about the idea of how you have a a boost. Um, But then I also talked about a mission script, okay? So... One of the big differences with the newer GMs is that you have a boost system, which really does help to, to define different mobile suits and their performance. Another big difference that you have in the mobile suits is that you have what's called a mission script. And the mission scripting allows for mobile suit supply drops. That's what it does, based on the success of the mission script. So remember I sat up here and said earlier in this scenario that you are the company that you keep from a technological standpoint. And this is where we try to work with having, you know, good company of a mobile suit, okay? So the idea works like this, as I've already stated in previous episodes. You have a GM Custom, it goes out, and on the success of its mission, in comes a Quell. That's what happens. Okay, now in our case, we decided to go Hazel on the Quell, um, because that gave the Quell a greater level of affinity than if we just would have went with the GM, uh, I'm sorry, well, just with the GM Quell, okay? So we are still using a GM Quell, but we're giving it the Hazel aspect so that the unit itself, the mobile suit itself, actually makes more sense in its reasoning of why do we do this as a follow-up mobile suit, okay? Now, I'm not in this episode going to get into the nitty and the gritty of, you know, what you should be expecting versus, you know, a GM custom versus a Quell, so on and so forth. But what I'm saying is this, is that in the way that we set it up, we set it up in a way where basically you have literally about six mobile suits that are truly definitive unto themselves. Now, are they are they are they perfect in terms of the way that they portray what they portray? Well, not yet they're not. Um, and, and they'll probably never be perfect only because... Part of this comes down to a level of taste. I mean, for example, you could sit up here and say, well, I like the Quell, or I like the GM Customs, and the reason why you like the GM Customs is because of X, Y, and Z, and the reason why I like the Quell is because of A, B, and C. I mean, like, it can be one of those things. Um, but in reality, you know, when it comes down to it, if it's a GM Customs versus a Quell in terms of combat, which one sits up here and wins out, that's a tough one to make the call on, you know? The Quell, again, is only in, in later installments of Gundam about a hundred points higher than the GM Customs. Which tells me that seeing the fact no one has ever seen this thing or dealt with this thing, that really it's just a pie in the sky idea. Like, ideally, this is what it should be, but in reality, it's not worth actually even trying to run a franchise off of. Okay, and that, and that tends to tell me a lot right there about what it actually represents in terms of the Gundam universe. On the flip side of things, you cannot deny the fact that there was something there. 
um, where they set up here and made their, uh, made their change, you know, um, from the GM customs, from the standard Earth Federation mobile suits into what they made it into. So from that, from that flip side, you can't deny that there was a, a transitional shift, you know, a, almost like if you want to plot out like a, a timeline, a geographical timeline shift with the Earth Federation in terms of mobile suit evolution, you can't really, you can't really deny that actually happened. Hence, that's why we ended up, I think, ultimately with the Quell when it all came down to it. Because getting a GM custom replacement was, was not a, an easy thing to do. And what was even harder to do was trying to get a follow-up to the GM custom. Like, that's one of those few mobile suits that you look at it and you say, hey, you know what, you really can't improve upon what this is only because even when they tried to improve upon it in the Gundam universe, they came out with some whacked-out mobile suit in the manga series that none of us were going to go for, you know, and, 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 and that's the uh, the reality to that. So, you know, again, for us, when it comes to the selection of mobile suits that we chose, we tried to choose mobile suits that were highly, highly, highly dynamic um, in their representation. Now, that doesn't mean we chose every mobile suit that was highly dynamic, and it doesn't mean that we were going to choose every mobile suit uh, that was necessarily going to be highly dynamic. Um, you know, we ultimately whittled it down to the fact that we understood that we still had Gundam Seed, AW, and, um, meaning Gundam X, and we had Gundam Wing that we had to put in here as sub-factions that were rivaling, you know, factions under the same hood. Like, in other words, as an Earth, as a Earth Federation player, what happens here is you get to use other installments as well. You actually get to use other installments of the Earth Federation. It's not just going to be UC. You know, in the past, in the way that we had it set it up, or we had it set up, we... We basically tried to break up the three, and then we wanted to bring them together at the end, so on and so forth. What we realized was that just wasn't that wasn't any good. Like we we really needed to allow them to work in a in a flush kind of system, and that's exactly what you you're going to see here with our new installment as it goes forward. Now you're not going to see that right away in this installment. Okay, so I, I don't want anyone to be hanging off the hopes of. Oh my god, I'm gonna see like Gundam Seed, I'm gonna get some Phantom Pain in my life. No, that's not gonna happen. Well, at least not yet, it's not. Um, I don't know if we'll use Phantom Pain or not. We might use Phantom Pain simply because of how restricted they are as a force. In other words, their mobile suit selection. Um. God, I forgot all about Phantom Pain. Well, I, I'm only saying this, I'm not saying we're gonna do this, okay? Understand something, I'm not saying that. I, what I'm saying is, if we were doing it from the standpoint of having a few mobile suits that are definitive, okay, like, for example, having slaughter daggers and having some other stuff, you know, so on and so forth, okay, um, Phantom Pain would definitely have to be at the top of our, our, our list to make that work. That doesn't mean we're going to do that, though, okay, because we, it may not make any sense to do Phantom Pain. And, and this is the whole thing, okay, like, there's a lot for us to actually evaluate, there just is. It's like the mobile suits that we chose for this round were the ones that really did make sense. These were the ones that me and Ryan could take, you know, what was it, like 20, 30, maybe 40 hours of audio, no joke, and had discussions on this? It was a lot of talking. You did. It seemed like the entire month of October was about this. Unmuted. That's right. And even, even aside from the, the month of October... 
we still had that, you know, that year and some change ago where we actually talked about this too. So, it, and that was. Wait, a, I'm talking about. I'm talking about muted. just whittling down all the suits to which ones we're going to use. That was all October, while I was working on Nod and getting the bug release ready and everything. Unmuted. Yeah, no, you're correct. Yeah, you're correct. I mean, yeah, the month of October was just that conversation. You know, and sometimes when you have those conversations, they're not, uh, I wouldn't say they're the funnest. Um, because, you know, sometimes it's like, why can't he just see this mobile suit? Or why can't he just concede to that mobile suit? Or why can't we just get off this mobile suit over here? I mean, like, honestly, who the hell cares about this mobile suit on this side of, of the range and whatnot? I mean, like, it, it gets like that, but eventually you do whittle it down to where it does legitimately make sense. And that's exactly where we were, surprisingly, at the end of what we chose, was this here is what really works. Um, but also what helped to shape that that tight niche of mobile suits that you're going to see there, and, and trust me, it does work well, is the fact that we are planning to put in like a seed... Um, a wing, an AW, and make that stuff work. So our idea about the Earth Federation is that it truly will be a federation of, you know, Earth alliances. That's exactly what it's going to be. You know, it's it's basically going to take multi-factioned, uh, or it will be a multi-factioned multiverse of Earth alliances and then make it work that way. Now, again, I don't want to try to forecast the future beyond um, just basically a, a form of example here. But one of the things that's going to be out of the game, um, and, and, and I'm going to throw it out here right now, I think I talked about it like in, in the last audio that I did with you guys uh, for Xenoforce Reborn, and I might have mentioned it for a hot second uh, with, with uh, Ryan in my, my last audio. I can't remember if I did, but I think I did. Um, is the Jagans, okay? So, you know, we did get rid of the Jagans. Like, they're no longer there. And in the original, like, the early, early design of what we had for this design, okay, the Jagans were actually there. And the Jagans role made sense. Like, they were going to serve a purpose in the game based on what we were going after, and then once when we sat up here and just decided to start whittling stuff down, the Jagans went out the window. Now, the Jagans are a total different class of mobile suit. They're not a GM, and they're not a uh, gun cannon base. They're not a tank base. The Jagans really are the Jagans. Like, they are legitimately their own class of mobile suit, which is totally different from the other ones. Um, and what makes a Jagan a Jagan primarily is the fact that they're a specialty class. Like, when you really think about the Jagans being used... Um, as time went on in terms of, you know, um, the development of the, of the Gundam franchise, Jagans did transform into more of a uh, development class of Molsu, rather than trying to be some, you know, parallel spawn to the GM series. Like, the GMs were the GMs, and, and the Jagans eventually became the Jagans. So, you know, to that standpoint... Um, that is one of the more challenging things, which is, without having the Jagans there, are we going to really be able to fulfill those specialist roles that the Jagans would have fulfilled in the original design? 
But that also goes back to depending on the roles that Seed is going to have, you know, or the roles that we may have with, um, you know, uh, the Earth Alliance slash Oz. Um, what roles do they, they serve versus, you know, UC and how does that play out for the player? So our idea here is very simple. You're going to start off with a limited selection of mobile suits. Over time, we're going to expand this option for you. And the idea behind the expansion is you're going to have a selection of a wide range of mobile suits from a mass-produced form that are really going to speak to a certain style of gameplay that you can find within the Earth Federation. But the key to the Earth Federation is going to be ultimately its level of flexibility. Um, and in the way that I would say you've got Nod, for example. Um, Nod has become the anti-faction of factions, at least up until this point, where literally in the way that we've created Nod, Nod is designed so that it can effectively defeat any other faction within its sub-factual text. You know, so, like, when we talk about Nod, and now we'll switch gears just a little bit here, because, I mean, obviously, i got to explain how this actually works here. I can't just be, like, throwing that out there, and then you people are, like, sub-factual text, what the hell is this guy talking about? Um, Because most people don't even talk like that. But anyways, what I said was correct. Uh, The way it works with Nod is Nod has, basically, think of it as... um, quadrants of performance, okay? So you've got, like, an area over here of performance. You've got an area over there of performance. Um, and you've got an area over, you know, this, there, and everywhere, okay? So you have these these certain, we'll say, clicks. Think of them like clicks if you want to. Um, like, you've got an avatar click. You've got a, you know, um, light mechanized division click. You've got a, you know, um, specialty um, ground mechanized division click. You've got an aerial click. You know, Think of it like that if you want to. But basically, they're groups of forces that come together to make Nod, or what I like to call the Tiberium State. That's what they do, you know. So, on on the baseline, what you have is you have Legion, which makes up Nod, and then you have, um, in our story, the Russians, and then you have Nod, Okay. You've got those those three that create the Tiberium State. So it's no longer, you know, um, not in the sense of, you know, a terrorist organization trying to, I, I don't know, take the world's Tiberium for itself for, you know, global domination and also human evolutionary steps. Like, that's CNC's main, like, headline to what Nod's supposed to be, which makes no sense when you actually think of it. Um... But here, what you're talking about is you're talking about a very rich um, technological and um, resource-centered faction. That's what you're talking about. And Nod has different displays of technology that the player is able to play into, um, or is able to buy into, I should say. And the way it works with Nod is a player is able to switch it on a dive. They're able to do this. I mean, granted, like, not in the literal sense of, like, you just flip a coin, and when it lands on its head, its heads and tails its tails. But basically, in the sense of, within given moments, a player can sit up here and swap from, um, or switch, or pivot, I guess you could say pivot, from Task Force A 
to task force C. They have the ability to do that. In those given task force, depending on how they're set up compositionally in terms of just the type of units you have there, provided they're all the same click, okay, and this is just making the assumption that they're all within the same click, provide a different level of performance from a gameplay perspective. That's what they do. So, for example, if I go to use the avatars, all right, the avatars are going to provide me a very different um, combative capability than if I were going to go and use for, or go to use the um, not aerial units, okay, like the Venoms, the Armageddon Bomber, the um, Vertigo Bomber, so on and so forth. Like, like that stuff is very, very different. Um, in, in no way, shape, or form are the units, like, really actually alike um, in terms of their actual clicks. They're actually very, very different. And one of the reasons to this is because this was one of the things that we realized not needed in order to win with the kind of unit selection that they actually had. So Nod was very similar to the Earth Federation in many respects, such as having a very compromised um, unit setup. You know, um, and, and what I mean by that is this. Now I'm going to talk about GDI for a second. If you look at GDI, GDI is a faction that is straight-laced and cut. It makes perfect sense. You have light tank, medium tank, heavy tank. And then you have upgraded light tank, and then you have upgraded heavy tank, which basically turns the light tank into a medium to heavy tank, and then the heavy tank into an ultra heavy tank. Like, that's basically how it works with GDI. So, GDI, through their straight-lacing manufacturing capabilities, is able to develop, a, you know, basically a force that, under reasonable margins of, of, um, of flexibility, is able to get the job done. Like, they're, they're just able to do it. You know, they're like the ideal, you know test subject for whatever you'd want to do. Like, it's just based on that. Now, that could also be based on the fact that, you know, they are based off of the concept of 20th century warfare. You know, they are. Um, but Nod was a faction that was not. Nod was always that anti-faction. It was always supposed to be the non-straight-laced, the one that was dirty, the one that, you know got in the mud to do whatever it did and so on and so forth. And again, I don't want to get too much into Nod here. But because Nod was an alter ego of GDI, if you want to think of it like a Jacqueline Hyde kind of deal, um, GDI was was and is easier to manage. And Nod was definitely much, much, much tougher from a gameplay development. So there were lots of things that we had to do with Nod. There were a lot of tests that we had to do with Nod, which I'll get into in a later episode, and I keep telling you guys this, but I will do it, I promise, um, where you cannot look at GDI and tell the same story. Like, like you just can't do that. They're, they're different units. Now, one of the things I will tell you is this. Dealing with the Earth Federation and its brand new, um, its brand new system. Okay, the boost system. Uh, definitely there was a difference between 
GDI and Nod um, in how each one was able to handle the system. But more importantly, the biggest thing is this. For a lot of people who, who basically feel like for all this time that you guys have, have invested into this mod, you know, on the original three, you know, GDI uh, and the whole concept of bringing back the older Westwood classical things such as, you know, the Mammoth Mark II or the uh, the Titan or the Wolverine. I will tell you this. If you ever wanted to see the difference between a walker and a mobile suit, the boost system will give that to you. It will totally give that to you. In fact, we found the ticket, like literally the ticket to explain why you're going to go with a Mammoth Mark III and you're not going to waste your time trying to screw around with, I want to say, some you know, a GDI Titan Walker or whatever the case might be. You know, there are reasons to why we do what we do. And a lot of times in game testing, we'll see something or we'll talk about something and we already know before we even test it. So there's no point in testing it, understanding with the amount of experience that we have that sometimes you have great ideas and sometimes you just don't have such great ideas. Like in other words, they may sound great when you wake up in the morning and they're isolated onto themselves, but then when you sit up here and try to plug it in, you know, you try to fit that puzzle piece in to, to the puzzle, it doesn't always necessarily turn out to be the piece that you thought it was. Especially as you get more and more and more pieces that you've got to work with, you know. So, like in case of where we're sitting at right now with our, with our project, you know, you gotta think of this as like a, a thousand piece puzzle. Um, I looked at our first file size, which was like 65 megs. Um, and, and by first, I mean like that is like the oldest installment I was willing to look at for the Earth Federation. Okay. Um, it was like Xenoforce Alpha, like zero, uh, or I'm sorry, point uh, zero six, And it was 65 megs unpacked. Now we're all the way up to like, you know, 400 to, to 500 megs um, unpacked. I mean, it, it's like, it's crazy, okay? So, again, when, 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 you're, when you're thinking about, you know, like, why is it these guys don't have this selection or that selection or the other, what you really do have to realize is that the lack of selection that you have is going to be made up in game performance. And, you know, there's something to be said about that, too. If you look at Command and Conquer, okay, you know, Command and Conquer in the sense of, like, Westwood's game, the game that everybody loves, or if you look at, you know, um, Tiberium Wars, or if you look at, you know, King's Wrath, um, you don't have a lot of variety there. You, you really don't. You know, now, in my, in my concept of, of how this stuff should be developed, I don't understand how on earth you literally did not have a situation where Kane's Wrath and, I want to say, Tiberium Wars, in terms of their, their sub-factioning system, wasn't all gelled into one faction. Like, like I just personally don't understand that. Um, and maybe one day someone's going to give me a good answer to it, other than we just wanted to make more money and... You know, we wanted players to concentrate on certain avenues of gameplay, so that's why we broke it up into sub-factions, rather than having one big faction. 
Um, that's that's not what we're doing. Okay, we're not doing something like that. So you, when when you listen to what I've I've said tonight, and you think to yourself, so basically what you guys did is you guys sat up here and took a huge faction, whittled it down in terms of Earth Federation. Um, you took a huge faction, whittled it down to you know a couple units. And then you said you're going to have installments later on. That like, how is that any different than than what you know EA did with you know Tiberium Wars to Kane's Wrath to Tiberium Twilight? Like, like how is it realistically any different? I mean, basically, you are talking about the same faction practically in terms of design, um, being just you know segmented for the sake of saying you have three factions instead of one, or you have four factions instead of one, or, or whatever the case might be. That's not what we did. That's not even close to what we did from that standpoint. Um, what we did was something based on the concept of efficiency. Okay, so in other words, we started off big, and we got rid of the unneededness because the unneededness itself was truly just not needed. Like, there was no reason to have that there. And, and the stuff that we got rid of actually made sense from the standpoint of game impact. Like, in other words... We talk about Nod just real quick again, um, and then I, I promise I'll probably just go back to the Earth Federation, okay, for, for the sake of Ryan's listening here. Um, when, when we talk about the, the uh, when we talk about Nod, all right, there was a certain way in which Nod was developed, okay, and one of the things that we realized about Nod is that Nod had an issue with infantry and light mechanized divisions. Like, this was just a huge problem that the faction had. The AI loved Nod's light mechanized divisions, and it loved the the infantry set that Nod had. Now, why it loved it, I don't know, because it never won with it, so I, I, I couldn't understand it from one way to another. But when we sat up here and broke it down by equation, all right, like in other words, there is, and I've mentioned this in my previous, you know, uh, episodes of Xenoforce Reborn, podcasting now, um a master equation. Okay, I've, I've sat up here and told everybody here that has listened to these episodes that all forces are universally quantifiable. Like, you can quantify whatever you want in our game. We go by a system of quantification. We do quantify stuff. We don't just simply say, you know, here, let's take some darts and a board and, you know, say unit A is going to be valued at this, but its HP is going to be at this, just throwing darts on a board to get to these things. What we do is we do look at the numbers, the practicality, the universal setting behind the unit, all the things that we've talked about with the Earth Federation today, and we apply it to everything else too, okay? So if you guys think that taking the month of October was a long time in developing, you know, six Earth Federation units, um, I can tell you Nod took much, 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 much longer, especially like on the Avatars, for example, okay, which I'm not even going to get into into this episode. Um, but what we found was this, from the standpoint of how the AI looked at it, from the standpoint of quantification, it did make sense to what the AI was doing to a degree. The problem was the AI was never able to pivot. It could never sit up here and say, okay, I now understand that light mechanized divisions and infantry aren't going to work. I'm not going to sit up here and switch over to tanks and, and all of the above. And, and this was what killed the AI every single time. Like, it didn't make a difference who the AI went up against, for what reason they were going up against them, what the terrain was, what the economy was, um, what the tech levels were. Like, none of that actually mattered. 
What killed the Nod faction was the fact that it could never pivot from light infantry and light mechanized divisions into heavier stuff. It could not do that. And the reason why it couldn't do it is because the AI kept making the correct decisions, which were use these units here that have a low cost, but a high damage penalty. You know, that, that's, that's basically what the AI was looking at. Okay. What it wasn't looking at was basically time and pacing of game because it, it's not designed to do so. So we can't look at it and say, okay, I'm going to be using these units that are of a low cost, but a high damage penalty, but then understand that like once when we get to this part of the game, I have to now pivot to these units that are going to have a high cost and a high survival construction. You know, so you're... You basically have to be able to understand that the AI doesn't necessarily see things in the way that humans do. Okay, and in doing this, this really set us up for how we had to look at Nod, which was, okay, we need to somehow take what we understand about these light mechanized divisions and these infantry units and then turn them around so that it really does make sense that the AI does pick these things in the way that it does pick them. But more importantly, they're proportionally paced throughout the game. Um, nobody's wanting to play with a faction where you start off with, you know, units of a certain grade, and then by the time you get to... And again, we've talked about this in our previous episodes of Xenoforce Reborn, how you have a beginning game, mid-game, ending game, and then epic gameplay. No one wants to take anything from a beginning game and then get to end gameplay, and it's no good. Now, maybe in terms of epic gameplay, that can be a totally different scenario that you're talking about. But if you're talking about in-gameplay, all right, before you get into that overtime, where both of you secretly set up here and spawned all these epic units, you know, and and um, all that jazz, okay? And, and then you both find out that you've been using epic, you both had this stash of epic units, you know? So a battle that should have ended, like, 20 minutes on the dot ends up being, like, you know, four hours later. That whole deal. Um, nobody wants to deal with units that have a short-term lifespan unless there are other clauses that go with it, you know? So going back to what I had said originally about the Earth Federation, okay, now we'll jump back into them. Um, you take like your RGM-based units, okay? Let's say you take those units, um, and we're talking like a Mark One, okay? So you take like your GM Mark Ones. All right, you have them at beginning game. All right, 15 minutes in, you got GM3s, okay? And in between the 15 minutes, somewhere in the seven-minute mark, you know, seven to five-minute mark, you got GM2s. So you got GM1, 2, and 3, okay? Or GM Mark 1, GM Mark 2, and Mark 3. Nobody's going to want to use a GM Mark 1 when you have a 2 and a 3. It just doesn't make any sense. When they all work under the same universal premise. And the reasoning for it is that by the time you get to the GM3, it would be assumed that your economy would be at the pace of keeping up with the GM3, so it can be produced in the same that the GM1, you know, the Mark 1 was produced. 
Same thing with the Mark II. By the time you get to the Mark II, there might be a little struggle at first. But you're going to develop your economy in your mid-gameplay so that it's it's much stronger than what it would normally be. And based on its level of strength, what you're going to end up having is you're going to end up having an output that is equal to what you had with your, your GM Mark I. So whether you're talking about a placeholder of the, the Mark I, the Mark II, or the Mark III, it, it really doesn't make a difference. Because in reality, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right, your economy and your industrial abilities are going to basically follow suit with the actual mobile suits themselves. So when when you look at it, you do actually ask the question, why am I going to go with these rickety old mobile suits that clearly weren't good enough to sit up here and win the beginning part of the game? Because if they were, I wouldn't be in a mid to now a late part of the game. But more important than that, what is the point of building this unit? Like, what am I getting? Now, like I said earlier, you know, you can't set it up where basically you get a spiff or you you get a a um uh, a reward of some kind because you're willing to go with crappier stuff versus better stuff, okay? You could do that. But it goes back to the simple logic. If the crappy stuff worked as well as it was supposed to, you would have ended this conflict in the earlier stages. You wouldn't sit up here and be trying to end the conflict at a more climactic stage with crappier stuff. That just doesn't make any sense, okay? So think of it like this for a moment, okay? If if, if you will, all right? And, and this goes to the heart of Nod's issue, too, all right? As it was the Earth Federation's issue and why it's taken so long to do both of these factions um, in in conjunction with each other, okay? If you couldn't take your baseline units and defeat your enemy when they are at a value threat level of 5, then what makes you think that 20 minutes later, you're going to be able to take those same units in a greater quantity and then defeat them at a you know, a threat value of 25. Do you guys see where I'm coming from with this? Like, in other words, it doesn't make a difference how the story is told. The fact is, you couldn't beat them early on with this crap. So what makes you think you're going to beat them later on with this crap when they're more powerful than they were before, just based on the fact that you say, oh, I've got a more robust economy, or I've got a more of this, that, or the other? You know, and we're not even factoring in the losses that you would take as they get stronger, and you actually stay at the same level of performance. Because in reality, what happens in those scenarios are you actually recede in terms of your territories, in terms of your economy, in terms of your production capabilities. You lose structures, you lose units. You're trying to actually do damage and control. You know, it, it's not gentleman's warfare here. It's not like your your opposing faction says, okay, here, I'm going to sit up here and let you build that crap that you're going to build. You've already tried to attack me once, it didn't work. So now I'm simply just going to build up my forces to be five times more powerful than what I was the last time, and I'll let you just keep building your crap, and then when you're ready, you come and attack me, and then I'll just simply crush you at that point and then bulldoze you over. Now, if, if you're fighting me, then maybe I might actually let you do that. But in normal, I want to say, you know, RTS confrontations, you don't usually get that luxury of someone willing to let you do that. You know, um, they, they normally don't work like that, okay? So my my point to where I'm going with this is that when you... When you look at what we are doing, 
all right, we're hitting this on multiple fronts. Okay, it's not just about a, hey, you know what? We we decided to, you know, have our our come to Gundam moment, you know, with with the Gundam franchise on how we are going to sit up here and treat a GM Custom or a GM Kaya or a uh, GM Quell or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, th- that's that's not what it was. In, in the same way that with with Nod as the counterpart, it wasn't a thing of we're just going to make shit more expensive and more powerful so then it can survive. You know, that that's not how, how this stuff actually works. There is a science. There is a methodology to it, you know. There is a way to look at this. There's a perspective that you have to create from a compositional standpoint to say, okay, this is what actually makes this work. And sometimes you, you nail it down perfectly in the beginning, and then later on you deviate from it. And sometimes the deviations work really well. Sometimes they turn out not to work so well. You know, you can end up breaking your entire faction because you added that one thing in, and that one thing changed everything. You know, um, it's the placeholder effect. Again, I talked about this in the previous you know, um, episodes. I did. I mean, like, this wasn't something that, you know, I, you know, just made up for the sake of making it up. This is, like, real-world development stuff. Like, you guys want to know what it takes to develop an actual RTS, and you want to know why we make the decisions that we make. These are the kind of things that we actually think about. You know, so I, I go back to that whole idea that anybody can have ideas and say, oh, this is a great idea, you ought to do this, or, oh, it's a great idea to have th- do that. One of the big reasons to why it's usually just us two working on this and there's nobody else we really try to factor into it is because people always come with ideas, but they don't have the understanding of the background from which ideas have to actually work from. Okay? It's kind of like trying to go to another country and then speak your language when they speak something entirely different. Okay? And then you're that tourist. You know, you're that tourist. And you know what I'm talking about. The tourist. Alright? And it doesn't make a difference whether you have a translation book or not. Or if you have a Google Translator or not. Like, these things actually, honestly, don't matter for what I'm talking about here. There are plenty of people who have come to us and sat up here and said, you guys should do this. Like, add Macross. Or you guys should do that and do Gundam whatever, whatever. Or you guys should, you know, bring back, you know, old GDI with Titans and Walkers and whatever the case might be. Or, you know, you guys should do X, Y, and Z with a nod or screen or, or however it goes. You know, there have been plenty of people who have thrown out ideas, you know, but usually their ideas center around or center around the idea of, you know, lusting after a certain want that they have versus the need of what the faction requires. You know, those two, two two totally different things there. And if you don't understand that, then you can never actually develop a solid game. You can't do that. Like, you may luck up with one faction and get it right. You're not going to luck up with three or four factions and get those right. And more importantly, here's the thing. Me and him, meaning Ryan, me and Ryan, we don't even play with the Earth Federation. So so this is how it really works for us, okay? Here we are, developing a faction, giving it all the tending, loving care, or tender, there we go, tender, loving care, 
that we can give it. And chances are we're never even going to play with this faction against one another or against anybody else, provided beyond playtesting and stuff like that. It, it just probably won't happen, you know. But the point is for the people who do play with it, they get a fair shake. You know, they get a fair shake. They can't come to us and say, oh, I lost because you guys didn't treat the Earth Federation the way you treated Zeon. So, therefore, I wasn't able to win. Da-da-da-da-da and da-da-da-da-da. It's like, no, you lost because you were a dumbass and you should have done this over here and you did that over there. Okay? Like, for example, okay, when the enemy forces decided to roll in there with some pit bulls and, like, I don't know, that whole herd of, of, of buffalo pit bulls your stupid ass tried to sit up here and take them down with GM snipers. Sure, that might have worked, I want to say, for the first couple of pit bulls. Definitely didn't work when, when you know, they were less than 50 points away from you, you know. And that's why you sat up here and lost that skirmish. You know, it, it, and those kind of things actually happen. Um, if you guys are wondering why I did the episode I did yesterday in correspondence to the episode that I'm doing right now in basically talking about unit selection and stuff like that. It really is to prep you for the changes that are to come. I mean, like, there are going to be changes that are going to be made, and there will be changes that you don't like. There will be changes that you will sit up here and say are entirely unfair. But it's not that they were ever unfair. It's the fact that the changes that we made are what actually allows for the faction to survive in the current climate of what we developed. That's what it is, you know. So for some people, it's just going to be a simple thing of we probably should have just left the old Earth Federation in there and watched them lose. Um, but we honestly thought that that was a huge disservice to the Gundam fan base. Um, and and a lot of this rode on, um, for me, the Skren. So I remember back when we had developed the Skren um, in one of their previous installments, and we gave it gave them an ability with their um with their um screen units where basically as screen units they had the ability um to harvest Tiberium and I believe they were invisible and untargetable. That's what it was. They were invisible and untargetable. And the screen, once when they, they gained this ability, became like they became tough. I mean, like, they became, like, really, 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 you know, tough um, to beat. And to the point that we had people complaining about how powerful they were and how the Earth Federation, you know, couldn't beat them and so on and so forth and all that. And ironically, the people who were complaining about it were Earth Federation players. You know, um, it, it a lot of it really did center around the Earth Federation. And the reason to why it centered around the Earth Federation was because these players were the ones who were used to beating everything else. So all of a sudden, they had, you know, a run for their money, and they decided, oh, you know what, this isn't fair. This is, this totally doesn't make any sense. I mean, how on earth can you sit up here and have another faction rival us an economy like this? You know, the Skrin are cheating, they're cheating in this, that, and the other. I, I remember how people were complaining about this, and how the Skrin were unbeatable. You know, dare I say, people thought they were unbeatable. And, um, I, I thought it was funny because I actually beat the screen, you know, so I listened to what they said. Then I went and played and I beat them and I said, uh, no, 
you know, and I, and I remember way back when Ryan and I, you know, talking about this, um, because this was one of the things that really, um, irritated me about the Earth Federation fan base. It was, um, and it, it, it there, there have been a few things that fan bases of given factions have done to irritate me throughout our development of this. Um, but like that was the big one for me for the Earth Federation. It was on, on just a personal level because I knew exactly what it was. It was a, your faction no longer has the edge, you know, in economy per se. Um, so now you're going to cry about it and say that it's not fair that the screen are, are just that more robust in that given area, which obviously made the screen better in other areas. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the screen definitely benefited from, um, from, um, having a harvest, harvesting system that was essentially untargetable. Um, and it's not that the, the, the refineries couldn't be destroyed. It was just that you couldn't kill, you couldn't basically, um, kill off the harvesters. You couldn't do that. So the strand in the way that it worked, the way it looked to the Earth Federation player, okay, and this was a psychological thing that, that we purposely had done, okay, was the Earth Federation player looked at it and thought to themselves, my God, the screen are just, you know, consuming Tiberium from the battlefield. Okay, now granted, now looking back on that, I never actually, I mean, although I talked about it back then, I never actually took that into account as playing against it as an Earth Federation player. But literally, if you were to have faced off against the screen, and Ryan might remember this uh, too, um, it did look like the Tiberium was slowly just being eroded away from the battlefield. It's like the never-ending story and the nothing. Like, you guys remember that? Like how the nothing comes and just destroys, like, Fantasia or whatever that nonsense of a world is. Um, and, and, and in the end, you know, it, 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 they're able to stop the nothing with the kid giving the princess the mom's name or whatever. Basically, that's how it looked with the screen in the Tiberium consumption. It looked like there was just a nothing that was consuming the Tiberium. And then, of course, the screen from there came out and just did their business. I mean, like, that's, that's basically what happened there. Um, so the, the Earth Federation players were, needless to say, not happy about it. You know, um, there, there were, there were a few of them that, that just weren't happy. And, um, you know, my attitude about it was, was pretty simple, which was, you know, you guys just need to learn to be better players. And, and like, literally, that's exactly what it was. It was, it was, it was learning to be a better player. I mean, like, there was nothing necessarily wrong with what the screen were doing. Okay. It was just dealing with the fact that the Earth Federation players were not used to facing a faction that economy wise could perform so well. And back at that point of juncture of our mod, it really was primarily around economy. That's what it was. Like, we thought that's what made the, in many respects, you know, the, the battlefield go round. Um, since then, we've obviously evolved our concepts and you will definitely see this in the installment of the earth federation where economy is not, not the main driver necessarily for how, an, how a faction actually works. It can be an element of it. It could actually be the pivotal piece of it, but it doesn't have to be if you don't make it back then. That's how we did it. You know, and, and keep in mind the earth federation players were getting like 2000 cash drops and all this, and they were still complaining about it. You know, the, the nothingness that they saw. I mean, honestly, I just think that they were scared at the fact that they were going up against a faction that was eroding away eco 
on the battlefield in a way that they couldn't understand. Um, but the redundancy of the Earth Federation uh, was really, its again, its downfall. Um, you know, Earth Federation players weren't complaining about the fact, and, and again, I playtested this, where, and this is another thing that got under my skin, um, was that they didn't complain about this, which I thought they would have, which is once when the screen acquired this great ability that they acquired, um, they were able to sit up here and pump out, you know, uh, high-performance, you know, high-tiered-based units like nobody's business. You know, so I remember facing off in a GM3 battle against, you know, you know the Skrin forces. And it took me over 300 GM3s to take down these planetary assault carriers. That's how many it took. Now, understand, the Earth Federation players weren't saying to make our mobile suits better. They weren't saying, how do we sit up here and actually do X, Y, and Z um, from an Earth Federation standpoint of mobile suit development in order to face this faction? Because technologically, we don't have it. That's not what they what they were saying. Um, they were actually kind of dismissive of it. You know, I, I don't know why. I think they just thought they could Super Gundam their way through everything. Because I think in the end, I did use Super Gundams to actually, you know, hit the screen in, in a pinch remove or something like that. But regardless of that, I mean, the GM3s, you know, suffered a pretty heavy blow. So, you know, from a personal standpoint, that is something that's always stuck with me. It's always stuck with me. Like, when when we went down to these six, you know, mobile suits that we did, and this does actually center around this, so it's not like I just went off on some tangent just to start talking about some stuff, but it actually does drive back to this point of the of the six. When we went off on these six mobile suits, um, one of the reasons to why I didn't have a problem with reducing the number of mobile suits, although I, I will admit, you know, I would like a wider variety of a mobile suit, it just comes down to what really is applicable versus what's not. And I, and I would say Ryan probably would say, yeah, I would like this a variety too, but it comes down to what makes sense versus what doesn't. Um, the reason to why I had no problem getting down to like a core fundamental number of mobile suits was because I had already seen what happened in excess of having mobile suits, meaning the excessiveness of just having a wide range of mobile suits but in the end, you're only going to pick, you know, a, a certain, you know, a certain number of them, you know, and, and I'm talking in terms of selection. So when you have 16 mobile suits, how many mobile suits are you going to realistically build of 16 mobile suits? Okay, here's how it's going to work. All right, I'll just break it down for you. You're going to build your mass-produced Gundams, that's what you're going to build, and you're also going to build like a GM or a Jagan. You're going to build something that's just going to be rapid, rapid production, while you're going to build like two heavy production units, that's what your 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 structural, you know, um, setup is going to consist of. You know that that's the composition of your forces at some point in the game. That's what happens with the Earth Federation. It happens every single time. I'm telling you, every single time, you get into that situation. You get into that point where you're like, okay, as an Earth Federation player, I really don't have, you know, the Kodiak in terms of a capital ship. Or I don't have a planetary screen assault carrier, or whatever the case might be. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go build some Super Gundams and some fully armored, you know, Gundam Mark IIs, and then I'm going to build some baseline Jagans or baseline GMs and, you know, GM3 or, or Jagan, that is. And then I'm going to go out and actually face my enemy. 
you know, you're going to use your GMs as your cannon fodder. You're going to try to sit up here and, and allow them to be almost as a, as a kind of a meat shield, if you will. A meat shield. Um, or a, um, a, a gauntler buffet, okay? A gauntlet, I should say. Not gauntler, but gauntlet buffer. Uh, for your, you know, Super Gundam or your fully armor Gundam Mark II, like in the way that we had it in the past. So, um, that's the reality of, of, of how that stuff actually plays out, you know. Um, and, and again, from my, my perspective of this, you've got to look at the past in order to understand the present of, of where it stands. So, the reason why I give you this meticulousness of conversation um, in this regard is because this is really what happened. It wasn't like some, some like, oh, I just decided one day I'd sit up here and talk about this and make this up because it makes a really great story and it fills airtime. No, that's not, that's not what it is at all. It's just the playtesting continuously showed these kind of things. That's what it did. And it's not what we wanted in our game. And more importantly, it's not realistically what people would want in their game either. So I don't know, Azusa, if you want to say anything to that or not. Muted. Not really. I mean, you've hit on the major points as far as I'm concerned when it comes to what we chose, why we chose, and the fan base annoying us when it comes to, like you said, not being able to handle somebody else out echoing them for. And that's actually something, you know, now that I think about it, I don't know, have you talked? to these guys about the change in the way Earth Federation's eco works? Unmuted. Are, wait a minute, are, are you talking about in terms of podcasts or those like losers I complained about it unteen years ago and, and that? Muted. No, I'm talking about the podcast. I don't know what you have and what you haven't slipped through and let these fans know about the game. I mean... Do they know that they're not getting free money just falling from the sky anymore? Okay, alright. So let me let me address that. Um so to begin with, uh <laughs> it really was money falling from the sky, wasn't it? It really was. Now I think about it, it really was money falling from the sky. Yeah, money doesn't grow off trees, it's merely delivered to you by Medea dropships. Um <clears throat> well my voice. Okay, um, so allow me to to uh, to do that. The, the answer A is yes. Um, I did sit up here and talk about that in terms of the form of looking at economies. Okay, so there should have been an episode. I could have swore I did an episode um, about the concept of economy types or how to look at economies. I could have swore I did. Um, if I well, I'll turn around and just do it again, like, next week or something. I, I can do that. That's not a problem. Um, but it might have been something that I actually... It, it could have also been something I sent you that I planned on giving them that I haven't given them yet. So understand after you talk so long about this stuff, it kind of just gels all together and whatnot. Um, but in the way that it basically works is, yeah, you're no longer going to be getting... No, yeah, I did talk about it. Yeah, I did, because I remember talking about the gun tank. Okay, so anyways, 
yeah, you are no longer going to be getting, you know, um, you know, uh, packages from FedEx in, in bundles of cash. That's just not going to happen. Okay. Um, you know, like, like, like the FedEx service for the Earth Federation is gone. You cannot FedEx your way through your economy anymore. All right. Which honestly, that's what we should have done. We should have got like FedEx, like postal planes just flying in and dropping in cash and stuff like that. Um, I can, uh, I can go in and change it muted. if you want, Doug. Unmuted. You know, I don't even need to mute and unmute this thing until I hear that little, that little, uh, static thing. Uh, no, 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 we're not doing that. Uh, I don't want to have FedEx anything in there, um, unless we're going to, like, plant a giant nuclear bomb in an enemy's base and it's brought to them by courtesy of FedEx. That might be funny, but not the cash. No, the cash thing, we're going to leave that alone. Um, so here's basically the way it works. And, and I, I do want to, um, address this because this is equally as important as our mobile suit selection. So after we basically came up with the boost system, okay. And we came up with the mission script system. What we learned was cash was no longer the driver of the earth federation. Like it's not like anybody who sits up here and believes that when they play with the earth federation, Cash is a pivotal piece of the Earth Federation. They are going to be gravely mistaken. Um, this faction is heavily done by mission script. And what I mean by that is this. Cash is basically a an activator. Think of it as like a key um, in a door that you turn and you open. But once when you open up that door and go inside, what you do is d- does determine the gains that you're going to get. So you cannot cash your way through a given conflict anymore. Like, for example, um, way back when, when I set up here and did that whole, like, GM, that GM3 push, okay, when I sent, like, over 300 GMs to go face off against the Skrin's planetary assault carriers, that's not how the Earth Federation would play from a cash perspective anymore. You could not sit up here and basically do that from an eco perspective with the earth federation. That's not how it's designed. Like granted you could build 300 GMs um, in regards to the number of units that you have with, with, I want to say the cash flow of the earth federation, you could totally do that, but you aren't going to gain anything of significance. You won't. Um, and in reality, in the way that the game currently works, provided you, in today's screen environment, if I were to try anything as stupid as to produce 300 GM3s to go up against, you know, um, Scrin Planetary Soul Carriers, I would probably get wiped out anyways. I would. Um, by fewer than probably, I'm going to go with, um, you know, 40 to 60 Scrin Planetary Soul Carriers. In other words, it wouldn't even be a contest. Like, it would be pretty, uh, pretty br- brutal. And even to the point of Super Gundams, I wouldn't be able to, like, impincer them or, uh, you know, pincer them, I should say, uh, with Super Gundams along with the GM, you know, units on the ground. Like, it, it wouldn't work. Okay, so understand the screen themselves just mechanically have evolved past what they are, but there's not enough eco in the world to fix the issues that you have with the Earth Federation if you do not follow the scripting, per- you know, correctly. If you don't now, I, I, I do want to sit up here and point out here that that doesn't mean that you, you can't win through an eco play. 
like you can still win through an eco play. Like if you want to hit enemy supply lines, if you want to kill off enemy harvesters and stuff like that, and basically bleed your enemy dry, you can do that, and that's not a problem. Now you try to pull that crap off with the Earth Federation, though, and it's not going to stop the Earth Federation. And this is one of the key things. Like the Earth Federation, to a degree, actually, after a certain point of pace, is able to keep itself alive without being dependent on baseline primal eco. And, and what I mean by that is this, is when we talk about eco, we're talking economy, all right? So uh, eco is just a term that tends to be used in CNC gameplay for, for whatever reason. Um, and I think people just get tired of talking using the word economy. Um, when we're talking about economy, we're talking resources. So we're talking Tiberium. Okay, so, so in the end, the way it works is this. You have refineries that produce units, which are called harvesters. And then those harvesters go out and they harvest, hence harvester. The harvester goes back to the refinery and on delivery of the harvester back to the refinery, you then have a cash drop. That's what you have. Okay? That cash drop goes into your little, you know, number box, which is your funds. It's your bank account. And then from there, you're able to spend your cash on whatever idiotacy-based plans that you got going on um, at that given point in time until you come up with a really good plan that's going to win you the game. Okay, that's that's basically how this stuff works. Okay, so like in a nutshell, I have literally just told you exactly how baseline economies work. Well, what happens is this, is that most factions try to... And by most factions, I'm not talking about um, our game per se, but I'm just saying in general. Most factions in RTS try to center themselves around economy in one form or another. That's what they do. Um, whether they may be stronger um, on a structural end, meaning that structures may cost less, which means you could technically build more refineries, or maybe it's the number of units um, that you can use in terms of harvesters, or maybe it's the cost of the harvesters. Okay, understand that in in the way that it works, usually a faction will have, with its harvester slash refinery, a single perk that it gets. Okay, and that perk that it gets speaks directly to, of course, um, the economy type uh play that that faction is is going after like for example gdis is more of a heavy steady grind that's what it is where nods is more i want to say stealthy and it's 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 stealthy and efficient you know that that's what it's supposed to be um as of now i mean like they could always change um based on a conversation that i have with ryan like you know a day from now um, but th that's basically how it works, you know. So, for example, I, I might sit up here, like, right now and say to Ryan, which I will say to Ryan, because I had thought about this, like, a day ago, which is, that, is it really fair for a non-harvester to basically have stealth capability and to have a Tiberium, you know, um, air filtration, or air filtering system that captures Tiberium? Is it fair for Nod to have two capabilities 
versus GDI just having one, which is primarily their armor. You know, now I, I'm not I'm not actually asking you to answer that because that's not like how I would phrase that to you. Um, you know, I would actually start with a lead in of pretext and then get to what I would say about that and then go forward with a solution. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know that's how you work. Um, <laughs> I would tell you that honestly, at this point, I don't know which is more important. Obviously, in the old game, Nod used its stealth like GDI had that stupid machine gun on the top of theirs. It was a defensive measure. But we all see how well that stupid GDI machine gun actually works. So then the question becomes, what do you want to remove, the stealth or the income? Remove the income and see what happens. I mean, it makes no difference to me. Now, now to the point of this, okay, um, uh, uh, to the point of this, okay, um, what, what I want to point out is that at this point, I don't care. Okay, I don't care. Like, in other words, I'm not trying to touch another harvester. I'm just using that as an example. It did actually pop into my head. I thought about actually talking to you about it, and then I was like, what is it going to change? Like, seriously, if you do this, Doug, what is it going to change? It's not going to change a damn thing. And then I'm like, well... Later on, it will have to be something looked at because it's just going to come down to fairness. That's what it will be. Um, and 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 let me, let me explain how this fairness thing works, okay, for you guys to understand, okay. Believe it or not, I am an overly fair person. I think that's one thing that Ryan would say about me is that I am extremely fair, even when it's not to my advantage. I do like things to be fair. That's just how I am in the way that I look at RTS. Um, I believe that there should be a level of fairness that's there, okay? So when I look at a har- something as simple as harvesters, okay, I look at the fact that right now we have it set up where every faction has two harvesters that pop out of one refinery. So, and I was looking at that. Um, and then I looked at the Earth Federation and I realized the level of income that they were getting, and I was also looking at other issues that the Earth Federation was having in terms of harvesters getting stuck and stuff like that. Like, in other words, the Earth, the Earth Federation harvesters could gather income just fine, right? But their problem was, because there were, like, two of them, it seemed like they were playing bumper cars sometimes or some stupidity that was going on that didn't make any sense. Now, later on, we found that there were other issues... That were involved. Yeah, I was. I wanted to interrupt real quick, Doug, and say that uh, I found that it was the speed of the harvesters that was causing the issue. The moment I dropped them down to thirty, I could have four of them right there, and they would all line up properly and work just fine. Yeah, that's right. I was about to say. Yeah, later on, um, there we found out that it was a. It was a. It was a. Uh, it was an issue. Um, that that was like I want to say just dealing with speed and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but from the outset of, of looking at it, it was like, oh my god, they can't actually have two harvesters at once. They're going to only have to have one. And then what happened was we developed a brand new system for their harvesting, which is the Earth Federation doesn't use standard harvesters. They use gun tanks. That's what they use. They use gun tanks. And the gun tanks actually destroy Tiberium. Like, the Earth Federation is not a faction that is based on the collection of Tiberium. To a degree, they actually do use Tiberium um, as a supply 
in in it's more of a getting paid to do a job. Okay, that's what it's based on. It's it's based on getting paid to do a job versus trying to harvest a mineral, which are two totally different things. So what happens is the Earth Federation player actually works off of a different metric of economy, where, number one, they only get one gun tank as of now. Number two, there is a system that's involved where you have the gun tank, it goes out and destroys the Tiberium, the Tiberium is collected in a, in a in a crate, and then a chopper comes in and picks up the crate. At the time that the chopper comes in to pick up the crate, you were then paid for your job. That's how it works. It's it's pretty simple. Okay. Now, when we developed the system, we didn't actually develop it in the sense of a job code term. Okay. It's just this is my way of explaining it to you guys. Okay. So if you guys are up here thinking to yourself. They really set up here and developed an ecosystem around some gun tank doing a job and then getting paid for it. No, that, that's not what we did, okay? I'm just explaining it like that to you. Um, because you're not there for, I want to say, like the 10 hours of audio that goes back and forth. Um, or more spewed one way and then a written reply is given to me in another. Um, where, and I'm the one spewing it. Uh, where we, we talk about these things. So I, I'm just basically trying to break it down into layman terms for you of, of how this actually works. So basically, based on the job code, the gun tank gets paid for it. That's what happens, all right? However, the gun tank and its job code is not the most pivotal piece of the Earth Federation, and I, and I can't stress that enough. It's not. Um, it's there for a presentational piece. It's there because you have to be able to expand and it's there only because we decided not to use G bits in order to just vaporize, you know, a whole, you know, field uh, in terms of harvesting, which we may end up doing at some later point in the future. I don't know, depending on like what powers we come up with for the Earth Federation and stuff like that in terms of colony cannons and things of that nature. You know, so like literally don't be surprised in the future if you see the Earth Federation come out with a power that's like a grips cannon where you fire the cannon and it blows up an entire Tiberian field. Like that's, that's the whole point of the cannon. Um, and, and then what happens is you got these auto spawns of crates and then some helicopters come in and pick it all up. Uh, I, I, like I wouldn't be surprised if that actually did happen, but in no ride, I'm not saying we should do that. I'm just saying that this is, this is how a job code can work for the earth federation versus other factions. Like this is one of their, there, there are big advantages. Um, but it is not of a harvesting mentality. It is of a mission mentality. Like you get paid because you did the mission correctly. You, you are rewarded because you did the mission correctly. Now, more to the point of what I think Ryan actually was wanting me to talk about, um, is this. The Earth Federation actually works differently, um, in the sense that what they do is their economy is not based off of, again, in eco play. It's not based on, you know, mineral gathering and then harvest or refinery minerals. That's not, that's not what it is. Um, it's actually based on the mission script. Now here's the thing about the mission script. And I want to get more to the point of what I think Ryan was wanting me to go after here, which is the mission script is based on the idea that when you complete the job and when you do it right, you get rewarded for it. Now the reward is the key to it, okay? 
So this is where your ego comes into play. The, the ego is the reward. All right. That, that's what it is. Okay. So you get a mobile suit drop. Okay. Now you've got to sit up here and think about this. All right. In terms of, of what I just said. Okay. Which is the reward is the pay because basically you're getting something for completing a task. All right. It's your job code. Like in other words, you go out and kill this, you know, unit. I'm going to give you this unit over here as a reward, but I'm not going to give you cash. I'm going to give you an actual unit. So what's interesting about the Earth Federation and what makes it so different is the fact that it actually uses a hard collateral. That's what it uses. It uses, it's almost like a bartering system, if you will. I don't want to say it's bartering because it's technically not, but think of it as bartering. You're not talking about numerical digits. Um, you're not talking about paper money. What you're talking about is, um, for the sake of the conversation, we'll say real estate or assets. That's how the Earth Federation deals. Like, they are so wealthy that they don't sit up here and, and need to do an eco play in the way that other factions need to. What they do instead is they simply just drop the damn mobile suit in there. So the mobile suit's already been constructed. It's already been paid for. It's given to you because you know what the hell you're doing with your units that you already have. That's how their economy works. Their economy is that good. You know, it's, it's like a, it's like a U.S. economy. You know, in, in, you know, in, in the world market. That, that's what it is. It's like, damn, the shit's there just because, you know, hey, it's just a, a first world power with a first world economy flexing its muscles. And this is what makes the Earth Federation who and what they are to a large extent with a UC at the very least, okay? With UC, okay? So UC being the, I'd assume they're the wealthiest member, right? Um, that's debatable, but uh, they're definitely the most advanced out of the wealthiest side of the three. Okay, all right. So we're going to go with they're, they're the most, you want to say efficient? Would you do that? Well, no, I guess. Yeah, it, I mean, we've got, we've got the three sides. You've got C, you've got wing, and you've got UC. And we've divided those three areas up in between, you know, North America, basically, uh, parts of Europe, and then Australia. If you're going to have the conversation over who's got what, UC is going to have the most as far as highest tech and income, but that doesn't mean, you know, the European countries are poor or anything. They've got tons of cash as well. They just don't like to spend it. Okay, all right, okay. So so we'll put it this way. UC is is not, you know, scrooging. They're not Scrooge in their, their, uh, their mobile suit, uh, mobile suit production, uh, capabilities. And, and, and that's, that's obviously seen. So, um, literally you will get a taste of what it's like to have a first world, you know, uh, mobile suit power really flex their muscles from an eco and production standpoint in a way that you've never seen before. And it works really well, actually. It, it really does. Um, and, and the thing is, it is a passive system. It's an automated system, and it, and it works the way it ought to. Now, we're at the the infancy stage of this. Like, I I don't know 
if we're going to carry this over to the other factions. Not not exactly the mobile suit drop-off abilities and stuff like that. I'm not necessarily going to say that would actually happen, except for UC exclusively, because that partly makes them who they are. Okay? But in terms of the mission scriptings and things like that, you know, um, because they do work so well, it, it will be remain to be seen if we are going to actually do scriptings for, you know, Wing and Seed and, uh, and, and Gundam X in regards to the way that we're doing them with UC. And it also comes down to how developed we are in that mentality, um, because we are now just getting to a point where we're starting to see, oh, you can script your way through X, Y, and Z and make it work a certain way. At the same time, there is a certain level of resistance to that because it comes down to, or it does come down to, how do you make a good scripting? You know, so like, for example, I can sit up here and say, here, let's do a scripting like this. And the scripting tells out a scenario, you know, and, and Ryan can listen to that scenario and be like, dude, why would we go through all this just to do this thing right here? Okay, so then what I got to do is I actually got to go back and say, okay, why don't I sit up here and tell a story that works really well with the scenario? Telling the story is not telling him a story as much as it is telling a story on the battlefield. So in other words, you feel that presence of what the scripting was supposed to be. So it's it's interesting in the fact only because from an economy standpoint, this is how they get their economy, number one, number, or how they drive their economy. This is the main driver to their economy is their mission success. If you were successful with the Earth Federation, you will definitely get paid off for it. Number two... Okay, number two, it comes down to short scriptings versus long scriptings. And that's something that me and Ryan actually haven't actually talked about, although we have talked about it. Okay, so we've never actually used the terminologies of short scripting versus long scripting, but we have discussed scenarios where clearly it's a longer scripting than some of the more instant gratification-based ones that you actually have, you know. Um, so, for UC, it is, it's a very interesting thing, I, I, I would say, that you guys are going to love. Um, because, again, you're going to have some detractors to it, obviously, because you're just not going to have mobile suits there that you traditionally would have wanted to have had. Um, you know, but at the same time, once when you start doing, when, once when you start using the scripting method and stuff like that, it becomes very natural. And, and that's one of the best ways I could describe it, is there is a naturalness to it. It's an organic kind of feel that you say, you know what, I don't have all this other shit, but it feels right. You know, and that's the whole thing, is that we're going after that that feeling right deal. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited for what we're going to give you guys. Um, obviously, I've play tested it, uh, so I know how it works. Um, and, and I do think that it's going to be something that you guys are really going to be able to uh, enjoy. Um, now, you know, with that being said, um, on on that front, you know, with the level of discipline and stuff like that, I do believe that one of the things that you guys will have to look out for as we go forward into the future is basically that pivotal shift, you know, and what I mean by pivotal shift is basically that kind of thing that makes sense in the way of, did they keep it or did they not keep it, okay? Um, now, sometimes, you know, obviously, we, we get into situations where it just doesn't matter at that point in time. Like, for example, we just talked about the Nod Harvester, you know, and, 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 the, uh, and the GDI with its, its machine guns, you know. 
And what did I say? I said, oh, I didn't care. Like, I thought about it, so I therefore I brought it up because I didn't have a problem bringing it up. But, like, really, I'm not going to devote any energy at this point in time, I don't think, to to actually contemplating what this actually means for the actual unit. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Um, and, right, and that's why I told you I didn't care which way we go on it because I'm right there with you. I don't think it makes a difference one way or the other, so that's right. whatever you want to do, I don't care. No, well... And what I mean by it doesn't make a difference is this, okay? There are going to be some people that listen to this who are going to be GDI players, and they'll be like, wait a second here. You've given Nod the ability to use a harvester that can basically, for all practical purposes, perform a dual form of income and it has stealth? Where is the fairness in that? And what I'm going to say is this. I'm not saying it is fair until we get to fixing GDI. And we finish up with the screen in the way that we want to do it. Okay, and, and that's what you guys got to understand here is that it, it partly, part, it's partly a work in progress. Okay, there are certain things that we will say yes to now and we'll say no to now, knowing that later on we're going to go back and readdress it. Okay, so the harvester is a really great thing of this. When we start to work on these other factions, okay, in, in a more intimate kind of Final analysis, all right? When we start breaking down the metrics of saying, okay, is this not even so much fine polished as it is, is it just equal in its its idea of conception? That's when we go look at the harvester and we say, okay, here's how it's going to work, all right? You got a harvester, you're getting two of them, it has a dual form of income, and it's got stealth. What's the closest thing to this? If we find that the underlining current is this, that all factions get dual harvesters. So the dual harvester part doesn't matter. And that the GDI harvester in this case, I'm just going to use it as the example because we had talked about it before, um, you know, with its, with its machine guns, the GDI harvester has like a form of reinforcement armor or, or um, and, and, and basically that, that's its main thing. And the machine gun there is totally pointless, then we might look at the harvester and say, ah, you know what, like, the Nod harvester is going to have to lose its stealth. Okay, it's just going to have to lose stealth. I mean, like, this is the only way to do it, um, because it's the only way to, to really make it fair. On the flip side of that, what we might do is say, okay, well, this is GDI harvester number one, but GDI actually has a, a an upgrade that they can uh, purchase, which is called Harvester Insurance. You kill the GDI Harvester, and on its upgrade, what happens is you not only get the cost of the Harvester back, um, but you also get the cost of the Tiberium that it was actually carrying as well. So each time you kill a GDI Harvester, the GDI player gets like, I don't know, 3000 bucks or whatever stupid money it's going to be. Okay. And, and, we yeah, might- and that's... Everyone listening here, this is the kind of crap I deal with with Doug coming up with a great idea, throwing it out there, and I have absolutely no idea how it even remotely pulls something like that off. Well, first off, I'm not saying to actually do that. I'm not. I'm not. That was not even... That, 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 I, I know you were. I was just pointing that out, man. <laughs> uh, okay, all right, okay. I, I just want to be clear about that. I'm not saying that we ought to do that. Um, I mean, we have tank insurance, uh, but I'm not even a big fan of the tank insurance. The harvester insurance sounded like really cool when I was thinking about it one day. And then I'm like, well, if I don't like tank insurance, I don't see how I'm really going to like harvester insurance that much better. And honestly, 
the, the abuse behind that would be paramount. I mean, like, seriously, you know what would happen. You would have people just sit up here and build freaking harvesters and send them out to attack just so that they can get blown up. It'd be insurance fraud. That's what it'd be. So, guys, don't expect that to be in the game. It, 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 would, be, it would be worse than that. They'd be blowing their own ones up in their own base. They wouldn't even send them out. They'd just line them up and shoot them. That is correct. And, and look, that's the kind of players you are. And we know it. We're not stupid. We're, we're honestly not stupid about this. Like, we know the kind of players you are. So don't be surprised when we sit up here and call you out on it. So, um, you know, to, to that point of, uh, of, of, of what I was, what, what I'm thinking here. Okay. So like, let's say for example, harvester insurance, that's option number one. Option number two is that we actually have, um, a, we actually pivot from the, the GDI harvester in terms of being a, a singular entity gaining or, or gathering Tiberium for GDI uh, over to also including a unit like the rig. Okay. Which is like harvester number two. Like in other words, it's a, it's a harvester. I don't want to say it's an upgraded harvester, but basically it's the next evolution harvester technology. You know, now EA came up with that crazy Marv idea. Okay. We're not going to get into that. Okay. We're just going to say it was a crazy idea. Okay. Big ass fucking tank that has a built in damn refinery and all this other crap. Anyways, um, scale that thing down to a believable concept where you have a unit that goes around and can collect Tiberium. Um, but the key thing about the rig is that the rig has its own processing plant inside, just like the Marv does. But when it's assaulted, what happens? It turns into a battle rig. Boom. There you go. Like, these are the kind of things that we look at. Like, maybe the not harvester is unfair. Or maybe we just need to evolve the idea of the GDI harvester. You just you, you see, like this is what you guys got to sit up here and think about from our end, okay? So a person who plays GDI might look at it and say, "Oh, it's totally unfair!" Like, dude, the motherfucker's got stealth, and then on top of that, man, he's getting like twenty credits per you know ping and all this other crap. You know, like how am I supposed to even keep up with this from a gameplay perspective? And then we and, say, and my point to them at that would be, uh, dude, all of your infantry have fucking cameramen. Use them. That's right. Well, yeah, you do, you do have that. Um, and, and that's, you know, provide, well, that's for as long as I stay in there, you know, we, cause we didn't, we haven't talked about that. We're not, I'm not going to talk about that, by the way. We just, we haven't talked about that yet. Um, but I'm, I'm just keeping this leveled on the harvesters. Okay. But, but I want you guys to think of it like this. Okay. Th- this is what you got to think about. Okay. Think back to what I said up here and said about, um, the screen harvesters being, um, untargetable and, and, and invisible. Okay, think about that. They only die when they get crushed, effectively, okay? So the screen actually have an economy system that technically can really work to a level of perfection. I mean, it, it does have a psychological effect. I mean, watching Tiberium erode away on the battlefield, and you're trying to figure out how the hell is this happening. I mean, like, it, it, I can understand from that standpoint why an Earth Federation player might get flustered, but then again, they did have, like, the FedEx drop-off you know, so I don't, I, like, I still don't understand that aspect of it. Anyways, you think about that being Scrin's pivotal moment of harvesting. Then you think about Nod's pivotal moment of harvesting, which is basically, oh man, I got dual forms of income and I got stealth. Like, I've got it made. Then you think about GDI and what I just told you there about how they can have a dual harvesting method. 
Okay, now obviously there's got to be more to it than just the idea of a harvester that's heavily armored and then a rig. I mean, like, how does the rig get onto the battlefield? What is its opening cue scene and, and so on and so forth? I mean, like, we're not talking about that. That's We're just throwing out the idea of how this would actually work. But then we get back to the Earth Federation. Okay, so I'm going to actually tie this right back to the Earth Federation. And then you think about the Earth Federation, okay, and, and its system, okay, which is, A, we're not doing a harvesting system with them. They only use a refinery system, and that's actually – it's it's more like a car wash. It's not even a refinery. It's like a car wash, okay, um, just to clean the damn gun tank off so it can go out and blow up more shit um, so the mobile suit doesn't become corroded or something like that. Um, B, they have an economy that is totally diverted in another form. So when you are a, you know, GDI player in this case, and you're, you're complaining about the Nod Harvester just being that much better than your own, what you ought to be looking at is what is going on with the Earth Federation in these mobile suit drops. Like, and this is what I'm talking about here in terms of seeing the bigger picture, okay? When you sit up here and say, what about the Earth Federation in these mobile suit drops? Then what I simply tell you is, this is their true economy. This is what defines the Earth Federation's economic might. It's this right here. This is what does it. So when you start talking about these mobile suits, again, to bring this back into perspective, you're not harvester is harvesting normally and then giving you 20 ticks of whatever, whatever. Okay, that's impressive. Don't get me wrong. It's impressive. But the fact is, when you're calling in three or four mobile suits at 2,000, maybe, well, actually, it's not even going to be 2,000. What is it, like 3,000, 4 to 5,000 would be the real cost based on their weapon sets and armor output and stuff like that? I mean, I mean armor resistance and whatnot? Yeah, I'd be up there in that range, in the four to 5,000 range. That's exactly what I thought. Especially okay. when, uh, after you see what I've done to the Power GM today. Okay, all right. So, um, so, when, when you start looking at yeah, these... Yeah, that, that motherfucker's gonna be like seven grand right there. It probably is. It's a Power GM. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, it's just a beautiful piece of Earth Federation machinery. Um, when you look at that, you you really get a different feel now for where Nod sets with their harvester versus, you know, in regards to GDI versus what the GDI player ought to actually be looking at. And again, I'm only using GDI as the example because they have stayed the most, I would say, consistent among all factions. Okay, so everyone can, like, think of GDI and understand, oh, GDI is straight-laced and all that, okay? Um, but yeah, to, to the point... I really do think that, and this is something we are going after, that you have to look at alternate forms of an economy. You simply just do, you know. It's not like, it's like, oh, everyone's just going to cash in and everything's going to be fine. Now, in some cases, it results in cash. It does. Um, but you are going to see where, in some cases, it's just a hard collateral. And that's really where I'm at um, personally with the Earth Federation. I, I would say, you know, Ryan's there too. I don't see why we'd be doing cash. Um, so one of the things that we actually have to work on here within the next, uh, you know, week, week and a half or so is trying to um, find that fine balance between cash and, you know, deployment. That's what we got to do. 
um, and, and what we have to do there. Now, now look, um, it's not a perfect system, okay? And, and, I, and, and this is basically how I'm going to close, I, I would say close this out, okay? Um, it, it's not a perfect system. We understand that you're getting a supply drop of mobile suit. Okay, we do. Or mobile suits. We understand that. We understand that the timing, you know, is not there. It's, it's kind of off, you know. It's not like you're, you're waiting for these things to drop in like a support power. Um, and, it, and maybe we ought to, you know, um, implement that into the game. Um, we understand that, you know, you can get like multiple drops of the same suit, um, based on the number of Pegasus class ships that you get and stuff like that. Like, we get that, okay? That's not something that we're even gonna argue, okay? In like, in the next live episode that we do, I might even talk about that. Um, but there's a difference when you're talking about judging an economy based on collateral versus when you're basing it off of a hard currency. You know, um, numbers speak one way, actions speak another. That's just, that's, that's how life goes. Um, or assets, I should say, speak another. It, it, that, it gets more accurately to the point. So, you know, it, it's kind of like if you, um, you think of, uh, DuckTales. Okay, you think of DuckTales, alright? Um, I'm gonna use this as the example here. And you think of Scrooge McDuck, alright? And Scrooge McDuck has this giant old, Building. He's got this giant old building, and then he's got all, he's the richest duck in the world, and he's got all this cash in the building. Scottish duck. Okay? Now, when you watch DuckTales, <clears throat> what is more impressive? The cash in the building or the building itself? It's the building itself. Granted, he's got the cash, you know he's got the cash, and he's, he's always told to be the richest duck in the world. But, the whole point is Scrooge McDuck symbol of wealth is not the cash itself. It's that giant-ass building in the show. That's what it is. Likewise, with the Earth Federation, the way it works is that you get baseline units that you're able to work from, and then they spawn in, you know, advanced units that are not even variances of the previous unit, but they're just advanced mobile suit models. Okay, and you get this beyond, or upon completion. So, what's impressive about this is not the fact that the unit costs five thousand or whatever. It's the fact that you didn't have to sit up here and pay all this money to see what this thing would do when you just get it for free and you're able to go out and do what you want to do because you did what you should have done with the other unit. It's a competency uh, factor. You know, it, it, it's it's how competent you are as a as a uh, player as a commander. You know, as, as the wielder of your, your Earth Federation, you know, forces. I mean, like, however you want to phrase it, it's the competency factor that we're talking about here, okay? So, this to me is, is something that I think you guys are going to love. I, I really do. I think, like, this is the kind of thing where you guys are going to be able to really, you know, get into this and then understand that, um, there is, you know, for all practical purposes, a huge, um, advantage with going this route. Now, in the future, again, we may do this with other the the other Earth Federation subfactions. I, I don't know. Not not this exactly though. Like you can't like just be dropping off units like in every single faction because if that's the case, then what's the point of having these other factions? 
you know. But at the same time, how they utilize currency is something that's very important. Because to the point of what Ryan just set up here and said, you know, um, you know, a little bit ago, which was they're if they're not the most richest faction, they're at least the most advanced. You know, so that then will will pose a question of what would the richest actually look like and, and what would be the gaining of the richest? Or more importantly, what does the poorest look like and how does that impact <clears throat> sorry, a sub faction of the Earth Federation? So those are the kind of things that I would I would leave you guys with. Um in closing out this episode. Like like those are are the kind of things that I, I would definitely leave you guys with. Now, real quick before we sit up here and close out, because um, yeah, we're about to hit the three-hour mark. My God, dude, we are, aren't we? Holy cow! That's like some Robotech fan shit right there. Yeah, well, Doug, you always said you can talk, dude. I guess it's it. There is no there. Yeah, man, there is no no one saying I can't. Um, what I would want to close out with, uh. I guess is this, is that as far as the the expectation for what you should have this time around, um, here's what you should have, uh, is that you're going to see now the beginning of a brand new format of RTS play within the general... I'm sorry, generals, within the Tiberium Wars engine system. That's what you're basically going to see. And you're going to see us build upon this um, in various ways, shapes, and forms. Now, I do want to make this clear. The mission script is not the end-all, be-all of systems. It is nowhere near that. Um, trust me, there are other ideas that we've had. There are other ideas that now that we are more experienced, we can actually go back on and complete um, if we wanted to, which we probably won't because there was no need for us to do it, which is just life. Um, but also this actually raises the bar that much higher, um, for when we do the next faction. It, it, it does. Um, trust me, this is not going to be a thing of redundancy. Okay. So when you see G Zeon, for example, Zeon is not going to be playing like the Earth Federation. Um, when you see Robotech, uh, definitely no, they won't be playing like the Earth Federation. We're going to figure something out for each of them. We will definitely do that. Um, now, with that being said, uh, what's going to happen here is this. Is I believe it's not going to be this Friday, but the following Friday. Yeah, because we're going to do a bi-weekly Friday uh, where we're going to have another live episode. So basically, like I've already said in other episodes... The way podcasting works is you do enough episodes, and what happens is when you have the established content, then people actually do want to come and and, and join in and talk and so on and so forth. Um, also, you know, the way people are, people listen in various different ways, shape, and forms. Um, I will be the first one to sit up here and tell you that my Robotech fan podcast is not only on TalkShoe, it's on iTunes. I didn't put it on iTunes, so I don't know how the hell it got there. Um you know, it, it is funny though. I never did put it on iTunes. Um, cause I don't remember that. Um, but also, um, it's, it, I found it on other, you know, podcasting places too. I mean, people just take your content and go with it. 
you know, so however you find us, when you do find us, um, don't worry. You're going to pretty soon see um, some changes go on in terms of, like, us reopening the blog. Um, that's something that we are going to look at doing. Um, also, we may change our format on MOB. I'm not really sure. Just having these extra outlets that we're actually doing now in conjunction with the actual mod itself, we'll have to figure out what's the cleanest way to actually do this. You know, because I don't want to clutter up MLB, you know, with a bunch of nonsense. Um, at the same time, um, MLB may not honestly be our our fan base in the way that there are other segmented fan bases that exist. So I know for a fact that MLB is not where we've gotten our most downloads for our project. I know that. Um uh, and I also know that our, our Xenoforce Reborn mod is done in other different, it's played in other different regions. Like by other regions, I mean people who don't use English, um, in any way, shape, or form, uh, in order to, uh, communicate back and forth. Um, so it's, it, again, it's just an interesting thing. It is. Um, and I mean, when I'm talking like, not using English, I mean, like, I can't even make out the words. It's, like, in some weird, like, kind of hieroglyphic-ish, you know, kind of lettering, although that is an oxymoron to itself, because hieroglyphics are pictures, not letters. So, yeah, I know what it means. But, anyways, you get my point of what I'm talking about. It's, like, nothing that I can make out. Um, I could probably Google Translate it, but it's not even worth my time to do. So, I mean, people enjoy it, fine, whatever. That's that's up to them. Um, but, anyways, uh, you're going to see some transformations happen. Um with this, and uh, you know, we're gonna uh, get back on the main scene um, and, and and take it from there. Uh, and you know, we've got plans after this. We do, uh, we do. I mean, it's not like a, a one and done deal. It's just it's time to close the book out on this thing and uh, get it going. So, with that being said, uh, you guys take care. We will talk to you later. All right, bye bye. Before Shopify, were you wondering where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.